Hello and welcome to Boothcast. Uh, Boothcast is a podcast where I speak to people who've inspired me about sport, business and their mindset. Boothcast is brought to you by Booth Training. Um, my goal with Booth Training is to help you become a better paddler. Today, I'm lucky enough to have one of the formidable names in ocean ski paddling, in marathon paddling, kayaking, just in paddle sports in general. Hank McGregor, he has won 10 world marathon titles for Molokai to Oahu on the surf ski. He's won probably everything that probably out there in the sports, in paddle sports to win. Thanks, Hank, for coming on. Thanks, Michael. It's 11 times, bro. 11. <laughs> 11. Come on now. Oh, what do you mean? You said, <laughs> I said nine and you said 10 and I said 11. No, it's 11. No, if you want to count it, a, a junior title will make it 12. That? <laughs> okay, well, if that, if that works. Sorry, sorry guys. I'm going to edit this back in. I'm actually not going to. 12 times plus a junior or whatever you want. Yeah. Thanks, one everything. Well, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm Clint Robinson, I'll, I can add up everything. You know, we can go through all the junior titles and the seat number and joking. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, today is just a really going to be an insight into your life. I want to sort of wind it back a little bit. Um, talk about like where you were born, your upbringing, and, and sort of how you got involved in, in paddle sports. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey uh, leading into? Yeah, I was born in Cape Town, um, South Africa. And um, when I was about 12 months old, apparently, not that I remember, my dad uh, took the family on a yacht. We went uh, pretty much sailing around the globe for the next couple of years. Um, so I really got to be familiar with the ocean. I learned how to swim before I could actually walk. Um, obviously, because my background, uh, the playground was actually water. So, uh, and my parents were scared that uh, if I did fall over overboard, um, I would drown. So they taught me how to swim first, um, which was quite comical for a lot of people. Because when I did hit the uh, the deck or the or the jetty, um, I used to just fall like left or right waiting for the boat to surge so when I did eventually learn how to walk so everyone thought I was like a drunk little kid walking on the dock but um, yeah obviously I wasn't used to just stable ground so that was uh, my upbringing was on the on a yacht and then um, from there we made our way back to South Africa back to Cape Town and we I grew up on a, a wine farm and um, obviously life saving was quite a big part of my life because uh, of my dad being a lifesaver, he was racing the Chalipskis back then. I think I think it was World War Two, um, and then uh, yeah, from then on, it uh, I sort of took to running. Didn't really want to be a paddler. Um, I just I just felt like uh, it was way easier to just run and less admin. Um, to be six or seven years old and try and pick up a spec ski or a lifesaving ski, um, as what we call it in South Africa, at eighteen kgs almost impossible um so yeah so from then on it was uh, pretty much just life saving and a bit of uh, river kayaking because my dad was trying to win one major race in south africa the berg river marathon which is pretty much the longest canoe marathon in the world um so i grew up on the banks of that and uh, yeah that was how my sort of younger years um introducing to the sport but i was actually always wanting to be a runner so you spent, so you spent your sort of your, like how many years were you spent on that yacht when you were growing up? So from 12 months to sort of how, how old were you when you got off the yacht and got back I to dry land? I think it was four, around about four years old. So it was, yeah, it was a good two and a half, uh, three years we were on the yacht. Um, and what was, so and what was, was the idea behind that? I think my dad's like a gypsy. He just, <laughs> you know, he just can't conform to society. He, he grew up in a very, um, 
how would you say, strict family. Um, and I think when he decided to uh, let loose, um, you know, he just told my mom, yep, taking the kids, we're going sailing. You know, like it or not, I'm on my way. So we had to go with pretty much. And uh, yeah, that's we got to see. I, I, uh, unfortunately, I don't really remember much. Um, but I've seen the videos and the photos and uh, obviously on a Super 8 camera. It's like, it's like really cool footage, if you want to put it that way. But um, no stabilizers. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was, it was really cool, cool upbringing and something different. And I went back when later on, my dad decided when I was about 16, um, come on and take you back to the Caribbean, sail across the Atlantic. And that's the next journey. Yeah. And so you were, so you're at school, um, obviously when you were doing at, at school, what were you doing for sporting wise? You were sort of talking about you being a runner, like were you a competitive runner or you were just running for fun or leisure? Um, no, actually growing, going up through school, I actually ran for what you guys would call your state, um, competed in national championships. Um, I won, uh, my state league. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed the cross country and, um, my dad was a, a Springbok swimmer, um, so I think he held nine South African records at, at one specific time, and uh, all the way through from the 200, 400 IM to the, to the 1500 um, freestyle. And um, so my mom always wanted me to kick my dad's ass when it came to swimming and break his records, and, and my dad was the complete opposite. He was like, no, you must take up some other sports. So he encouraged me to run and and uh, eventually one day start getting into paddling. But um, I really turned to paddling when I, I got a disease in my knees called Oscar Lattice disease. I think that's how you pronounce it. And um, I had to make a, a decision either to go under the knife um, or maybe they, the doctors advised to maybe stop for a year and see if your knees and bones could maybe grow back. And, uh, and yeah, I sort of from then on, I turned to paddling and... Uh, you know, really haven't looked back since. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I don't know if you can see my knee here, but there's like a bone spur like right there. And that's uh, all yes. Osgood Slatter. So that's probably what the same sort of issues you had. Except I carried on growing. You look like you, <laughs> you stayed the same height. Yeah, see, I can just blame Osgood Slatter. So I just never got taller. Um, <laughs> so you're getting so you get into paddling. How old are you when you get into paddling? Was your dad's um, life-saving career sort of a, a catalyst to get into paddling? For sure. You know, um, he obviously he retired from swimming and went into life-saving. And um, from then on, we you know we sort of got these videos uh, of the Uncle Toby series, the the, the couldn't get a gold. We saw that movie, I think it was the Gold Coast Gold or uh, something yeah. like that. And uh, so all he wanted to do is, is, you know, come and race Australia in the Ironman. And uh, he, he did get that opportunity, he came across, raced uh, Trevor Hendy, um, Guy Leach, like that, that's those guys, the legends, um, Dwayne Thars, I'm trying to remember the names. Um, and uh, from then on, obviously, I was inspired to, to, you know, take up this Ironman racing, life-saving and... Uh, yeah, uh, pretty much uh, from then on, you know, as part of Ironman racing, you got to paddle. Um, so my dad really tried to focus on the paddling side. And um, for me, that was, you know, obviously the first stepping, stepping stones to going towards uh, becoming a paddler. And like I, I always like could paddle, but it, I was never like physically strong. Um, like I say, I was, it was easier for me to run. 
and um, and then yeah, pretty much. Uh, I think from from then on, you know, uh, I've always wanted to go to Australia and always wanted to come and race Australians in in Ironman racing, but I actually never got that opportunity. Now I got to do it in surf ski. Yeah. So you, so what was it about sort of surf ski um, and like the marathon style paddling? That sort of sucked you in because obviously they had all these other opportunities for the Ironman racing. You were you're a very good runner as well, so you, you didn't really go back to that. What what sort of sucked you into the paddling? Was it you were, you were very good at it initially, or did you gradually get better at it? I think when um, I really decided to take up paddling seriously was when I watched the Barcelona Olympics, and um, I, you know my dad was doing the, the kayaking trials and stuff in South Africa, and then. We actually got to watch it on TV, and believe it or not, uh, I got to watch the famous uh, Clint Robinson win the thousand k one and uh, beat uh, Greg Barton and Nut Holman. And um, from then on, I was like, "That's what I want to do." You know, I want to, I want to go to the Sydney Games, which was, um, you know, obviously Sydney two thousand. And yeah. uh, from then, I was like, "No, I'm, I want to. That's what I want to do." You know, so I used to watch that video on a, a VHS um, cassette. Every morning before I went to school, I'd watch Clint Robinson. I could I could recite and uh, replay almost the the finish, uh, the commentary um, flip. I loved it. I used to get like goose pimples every morning, and uh, now I'd go to school, you know. And people would ask me when I get to school, like, you know, teacher, so what do you want to be? And you know, some people would say I want to be a fireman, I want to be a police officer, you know, I want to be a doctor, and I'd be like, I just want to be a world champion. And they'll be like, at what? No, Olympic Games world champion, sprint, kayaking, thousand meters. That was my goal, you know? So that's when I think flipped the switch. And, um, you know, for, for us, we didn't really canoeing, um, well, we call it canoeing. Most people call it kayaking internationally. Um, you know, for us, marathon racing was always a big part of the apartheid era. You know, we started coming up with these races that, um, you know, it was just endurance took it was time consuming, which obviously helped, uh, the time, you know, I think it was 20-odd. Then we're still isolated at the moment, you know. Um, so, uh, so yeah, for, for, for us, uh, you know, for me, that was, that was the culture, marathon paddling. And, um, and I think that's where, you know, went from sprint kayaking and I started doing both juniors, uh, junior worlds uh, marathon champion in 1996. My first world champs was 1994 in Amsterdam for marathons. Um, I don't even know if you were born then, Michael. Um, I was born in 91, Hank. So, yeah, you're not that much older than me. Oh, oh I thought, okay. Yeah, exactly. Check, check. Um, so, yeah. So, um, from then on, it was pretty much just the kayaking route. And um, and then, you know, for us, surf ski paddling was ultra distance stuff. You know, we didn't have, you know, it was round the cans, um, which we called was life-saving, uh, spec ski racing. And then it was these ultra ultra distance races you know like you know cape point challenge was one of the shorter races which was 60 k's and then the pe to east london was you know 220 or 230 kilometers so um there was no like in between and um only when we started hearing about you know obviously oscar winning this the molokai and and it was the world championships or you know for him it's still the world championships and it always will be. And he'll have more world titles than I'll have. doesn't matter even if I do overtake his titles, which I never could. Um, you know, everybody obviously wanted to go and win the Molica, you know, yeah. or go and race this this race. I mean, it's been something special, you know. So for me, it was 
those were like the goals that were set. And I think that's how I eventually got into the Sersky racing. The races started getting shorter, started getting, uh, you know, more popular in our country. And, um, yeah, I think life saving unfortunately died in our country because of Sersky paddling, you know, um, and that's unfortunately, but that's what happened. It became more popular to do these LD races, you know, long distance Sersky races. And obviously the craft became lighter and we could use um, these foam skis or carbon skis. And, uh, and I guess that's became more accessible for most people to do the races. So yeah, that's how I got into Sersky racing, if you want to put it that way. Yeah. So, you, so you, you watch Clint win in 92. So Clint was basically one of your driving forces of your career. And I guess someone you aspired to be like, would that be right to say? hundred percent, you know, yeah. um, when, when I did actually meet him, um, in a kayaking race when I was representing South Africa for, for K1. Um, I sprinted for, I think, close to seven years. I was in the national kayak team um, for K1. And um, I did K4 as well, K2, but uh, mainly K1. And uh, I got to race against him. And yeah. uh, I still remember, like, meeting him in the bus on the way to the start of a race. Because, uh, you know, it seemed to be, like, the sprint regattas, the first event would always be the K1 men's thousand. So it would be like a nine o'clock start. So we'd all be on the buses leading from the hotels at like seven, seven thirty. And I got to, you know, meet the Clint Robinson, you know, and, um, you know, for me, I just found him like, I was like in awe, you know, and then he would just say like, I'll be like, how you doing Clint? You know? And he'd be like, you'd like sort of, you know, with these shades and his AIS kit and, uh, I think he still wears the same kit today. Um, uh, he would, uh, you know, he greeted me and, and I, I just, I was like, I was in awe, you know. And later on, we, we got to actually be on the same team with Epic Hikes and we got to be like roommates. I think it was on a Dr. Sersky race. And um, I really got to interact with him and uh, he sort of had a similar upbringing to me uh, with his dad coaching him and, um you know he's 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 the ultimate competitor you know as as much as some people think he's arrogant you know for me i think it just came with the territory he's just one of those guys that are just you know i always idolized him and uh, it was an honor to race against him and um you know leading on to that we got to to i managed to actually beat him in a, in a surski race and for me that was was something special you know and for me he's he's one of the ultimate competitors to be out there you know he will give everything on the day he's not going to give you an inch and um, I take my hat off to him, yeah. Yeah, he was sort of one of those guys, I guess, before I started surf ski and even when I was kayaking, he was sort of like one of those guys in the far distance who was like the guy who did everything and, and won everything, like even with the, the, like the um, surf ski races going around the cans, as you say, like he just won so many of those titles and he was just like sort of larger than life essentially because he'd done so much in also like being an Olympic gold medalist. I think he got third uh, going back. I think it was Atlanta. Um, three, four years later, and then he just won so many surf ski titles. He won basically all the the ocean ski titles as well. But he was that ultimate competitor, and it was some, someone you just like. Well, like when you go to a race, you're just like that's that's like legit. That's the guy you want to be like. So it was it's pretty cool to hear that from you as well, and sort of hear that he inspired you to sort of start paddling really seriously in the end and do that seven year stint for sprint kayaking. Um, did you actually ever achieve probably what you wanted to achieve? Like, did you end up going to the Olympics for sprint kayaking or, or not? No, um, I didn't, you know, I, I think for me, I, I, I sort of grew up with like this close combat sort of racing where you want to, you know, race 
the man next door or race just one person. So I really struggled with the, the sprint kayaking, just, you know, everyone being so far apart. And, um, you know, my Olympic um, campaign really came to an end at uh, 2004 for the Athens Games. And um, for our selection, we had to be in the top eight to, to, to be qualified for from our uh, Saskatchewan or Noxa point of view. And um, which means that you had to make the A final at World Champs prior to prior to the Olympic year. And um, I remember going into the semi final, and I was drawn with Nathan Bagley, who was actually a good friend of mine at the time, and um, and uh, and Eric Fuzlason, and uh, I think there was another uh, Gonzalez was a Spanish guy, and uh, all three of them were pretty much had been ranked top two or top three in the in all the World Cups leading up to the thousand and um thousand world champs and uh yeah i took off um racing bagley i think we got to the 500 meter mark and we went through in a 140 um which was pretty much almost my pb for for 500 k k1 and um and we're going out for a thousand and i looked around and we were we were clear you know we must have had two or three boat links on um eric at that stage and I was like, I've got this in the bag, you know. And, and Bagley was just wheel spinning next to me. I mean, his stroke rate was, was on like fast forward. And yeah. um, I hit the 750 meter mark and I was still lying second. And, uh, and then I saw, you know, the Spanish guy coming up. And uh, next minute, Eric van Lassen just came past with like 150 to go. And I ended up, I think I was fourth in the, in the semi. And uh, I, I missed the, the A qualification final. I think yeah. it was within... A couple of split seconds, and uh, you know when you when you, when you realize it's 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 all over, you know, and you've put so many years into it, and you you know, unfortunately, it it you know it, it didn't go your way. Um, if I'd been in maybe the, I think it was the other two semifinals, or there was four semifinals, I'd been in the other two, I would have made it through. Oh yeah, that's so the unfortunately, worst um, yeah, look, but that's that's the way it goes, you know. That's that's you know, if you're good enough. Trust me, if you're good enough, you're going to make it. You know, I just wasn't good enough at the time, you know. And I think if I'd paced it right or maybe done a little bit differently or maybe been more individual in my mind, um, I might have pulled it off. But um, it didn't work out. You know, from then on, I actually flew to to Europe. And I think it was within two weeks later, I won the World Marathon K1 senior title for the first time and pretty much uh, just said, look, you know, there's some things that you're good at and some things that you maybe not the best at. So maybe just stick to, to that, you know, and pretty much 11 world senior titles later, um, here I am, you know. So uh, I, I do have that regret that I never went to the games, um, but uh, I'm not the only one. And uh, yeah, you know, that's, that's something I'll just take on the chin for the rest of my life. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you speak about Obviously, that was like in a way a failure for you, but it sort of also took you into the marathon scene where you were the most successful athlete ever at that discipline and that distance. So sometimes, I guess, I've noticed a lot of these podcasts. It's like you're talking to people who maybe have had that failure, but they've turned it around and they've made it into this awesome next career. That's sort of basically what you did. Like you're 23, I think, at this stage. You've you've missed out on the Olympic like the Olympic selections essentially. And you've gone, okay, well, I, I'm good at this marathon stuff. I'm going to go there and sort of, I guess, vent your frustration in a way by proving to yourself that you were like a really good athlete, but you were maybe a really good athlete in something that you probably weren't the best at as you're talking about. So 
your career starts with your first um, marathon world title in 2003. Then to sort of take, like teach us through that next sort of 11 titles, was it something that you thought you were going to be able to do consistently over time or was it something you had to work hard at each and every year? To, to be honest, um, uh, I remember meeting or racing against uh, Manuel Busto from Spain and um, I mean, he's just, he was like a mountain of a man. I mean, he just had muscles popping out from every spot in his body, you know, and um, he was just, you know, he cruised around with his own TV crew and he was just like, he was the European, you know, um, celebrity in marathon paddling, you know. So when I did beat him um, in 2003, you know, I was like, couldn't believe it, you know. Um, and I was like, well, I've, you know, maybe I must go back now. People are like, well, how many, you know, world titles are you going to win? And I was like, uh, none, no more. Like one's enough, you know. Yeah. And um he had won quite a few at that stage. And, uh, and then I was like, no, well, you know, I'll just go back next year and do the same thing, you know? And, um, unfortunately the following year, I didn't make the team in South Africa. Um, uh, I had a, a bit of a miss up at the, at the, at the trials at our selections and, you know, our selections are pretty cutthroat, you know? Um, and, uh, yeah, I found myself world champion, not being able to defend my title. And, um, so then I went back in 2005, I was actually uh, in Australia and uh, I was sick. Uh, I had like boils and stuff. And I, I think I was just trying so hard to, to be the world champion, you know. And, um, and I, I ended up, I think I came like eighth or ninth. And I think Manuel won again and he won in 2004. And uh, he was just racking up the world titles. And I mean, I was like, when I did see him or did get to race him, you know, I had like this frustration and, and obviously there was a lot of anger and, and I was like, come on, you know, I want to be the world champion again, you know? And, um, you know, 2000 and, uh, 2006, uh, he, another South African, Sean Rubenstein, actually won the world title. And uh, which for me, like sort of took away, you know, like I was, you know, the only one to win a world title in our country. And, um, and I was like, you know, come on, I want that back. And 2007, um, uh, another Spanish ma uh, paddler won it, uh, uh, Merchan from us from Spain, and and Manuel Busto was uh, he was he was second, and I yeah. was just I, I got sick again, and I was just like this isn't working. 2008, I was like I'm not going, you know, I'm going to take up the Suski racing, and I actually went to uh, San Francisco, and I went to race with uh, David Mocker, and uh, and we went to race, uh, you know, obviously that type of racing, Suski race, and I won. I won the U.S. Nationals, and it, and I was like, you know what? Maybe I should just do the Suski thing. At that stage, Dubai racing, we were doing yeah. that. There was big money. I think it was like twenty thousand U.S. dollars. Um, we were, like you'd win hot spots for like a thousand dollars at time. We were just like, this is the way forward. You know why am I like wasting my time with this world marathon stuff? You know, and um, you know, two thousand and nine, I was like, I did the trials again, and uh, I didn't make the K one spot, and um. We uh, we made the K2 spot myself and a, and a partner Grant van der Vault. I think you've raced him a few times. Yeah, and um, and uh, yeah, we uh, we I think we came fifth at World Champs, and I was just like, this, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I'm too old for the sport. And uh, you know, in uh, 2010, um, I won both the trials, K1, K2, and um, the selectors in our country said that I wasn't good enough to do both. And I was like, you know, why? You know, I've won the trials. And they're like, no, you're too old. 
and um, you've uh, you we don't think that you're fast enough to win um, or be competitive in in a world scene and the world stage. So I was like, but I'm the best in the country. I've won the trials. Yeah, but we don't feel that you know we selectors. It's our discretion. We don't feel you're good enough. So um, so I said, well, if I if I if I'm not allowed to do both, I just want to do K1. And they were like, no, you can only do K2. And uh, for me, obviously, it was like I really didn't understand and I was confused. And like emotionally, I, I sort of took over me. And um, I actually just told them, you know what? Stick it up your ass. I'm not going. And they were like, fine. Cool. It's your choice. You decided not to pull out the team. So I was like, okay, I'm out. So 2010, I didn't even go to World Champs. And, um, and uh, I sort of, you know, from then I was just, I was like bitter, you know. And, yeah. uh, and I was I was trying I was trying really hard to to be the ultimate athlete, trying really hard to train, you know, like um, you know I was working full time and um, just wasn't working out, you know. I was like just frustrated and uh, and uh, yeah, I did some stupid things. I ended up, uh, you know, I was, I was doing cage fighting at the time, like training for that, and uh, maybe it like helped with the frustrations. And then uh, you know I sort of unfortunately yeah had there was an incident in the one race and um i took to my fist instead of my paddle strokes and uh had an altercation with another paddler and uh, ended up getting a, a two-year ban from paddling oh, from right. south africa yeah um then i managed to to you know they gave me a bit of a lenient sort of uh ruling and they said i can do one year I'll be banned. I'll be banned for a year if I do six months anger management. And uh, I ended up having to go to court and um, they brought up the whole cage fighting thing. And they just said, like, there was a whole lot of stuff that was said about me. And, and I really just said, you know what, I'm going to throw the tile in with the sport. You know, I'm just, I've had enough of kayaking and um, I'm going to do something else, you know, like completely just get out of it. You know, I was just, I was bitter, I was frustrated and now I was banned. And then I thought, well, you know what, I'll just, I'll travel race internationally, you know. And unfortunately, if you're banned uh, in, by the RCF in uh, or our country is called CSA, I was banned by Canoeing South Africa, and they're affiliated to RCF, means that you're banned worldwide. I didn't know that. But I suddenly found that out because all my visas were declined. And uh, uh-huh. I was like, oh, well, I'll just, I'll come and race. Um, actually, I was going to come and race uh, your race, um, the kayaking race there, the, the Avon Descent. And yep. uh, they turned me down as well. Yep. Sorry. You know, you banned. We affiliated to oh. the RCF. So I suddenly found myself like just completely isolated just because of, uh, yeah, you know what I mean? Just so um, 2010 was a hard year. Um, the only race that actually sent me an invite was actually the Molokai by, by some chance. They actually said, we don't care if you punch other people. Come and do our race, you know. <laughs> so... Uh, so I always, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll have the Monica close to my heart because of that. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so from then on, um, yeah, I found myself not being able to paddle, so I just gave it up. You know, you know, when you suddenly realize that you you're training today, and the next time you'll be able to compete or actually go to a venue or a recognized event, it would be a year from now. I sort of just found it really hard. So I decided mm. to, um, after a couple of weeks, threw in the towel and um, just worked. And I was like, I'm done. And then a lot of, a lot of the paddlers took offense to this. And they were like, you know, what? you know, 
if you they started getting involved in other sports and if you you know if you rip some guy's hours out or gouge his hours in rugby or rip his genitals off i think the most you get is like a 12 month ban on your first first attempt or something and then it was like they were like this is ridiculous this guy's got banned for you know throwing a couple of punches at another guy you know um so uh for me um yeah they actually they ended up fighting a case for me and that went to supreme court and um i was on the stand for a couple of hours and um eventually uh they actually said you know you've, we've we think you've served enough and uh been a couple of months and um you're allowed to go and race again and uh from then i think i was just so grateful and uh, so appreciative that I actually could have the opportunity um so one thing being injured and knowing that you can't compete it's another thing being sick knowing that you can't compete but it's another thing not allowing to to compete and there's nothing wrong with you, you know for me i really took took that um as quite a hard thing to to swallow and um yeah from then on it was just game on like i was keen to race everywhere you know anything and um and uh, I think that's exactly what's going to happen now. As soon as we're out of this, I think that's what's going to happen. And uh, I'm starting to get the same feeling. So watch this space. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, from then, that was just race on in 2011. Um, my sister had a really bad car accident. And uh, she ended up, uh, uh, she actually passed away for quite a while. And um she uh they managed to revive her and uh yeah it was over quite a long period uh she was in a coma for a while and uh, for me i went to go and visit her quite often and uh i couldn't believe that the brain and the and the body could be could be so different you know i always thought they're one but i suddenly realized that the brain could actually shut the whole body down there was nothing wrong with her physically she just had a really bad head injury and um I remember going up to her, pinching her, tickling her while she was on the in the hospital bed and um, there was no reaction and I couldn't believe it, you know. So for me, uh, I would go home and um, I just, I couldn't sleep. So I ended up going paddling at night. You know, I'd just go in the ocean and I'd just, I'd just paddle and I was just hoping to blank out. I wanted to like, try and see how hard I could push my body and uh, before it would suddenly just shut you down, you know. When would the computer shut you down? And um, it didn't, you know, I, I still haven't had that moment, you know, like the curtains haven't come down, you know, it's, and, uh, and I suddenly realized that as an athlete, you've got so much more uh, inside of you and um, you just, you just don't allow it. You know, the computer upstairs just stops you and just says, and uh, no, I think you, you're tired enough or you've, you've got your Garmin and your heart rate's like 230 and you're like, no, that's enough, you know, but um Deep down, I think everyone's capable of a lot more. And uh, that fueled me for training. And I started training like, like an animal. But I was, I was emotionally training and um, I was fueled by another source. You know, it wasn't just inspired to beat other people. I was trying to beat myself. You know? And um, I ended up going to, to race and uh, went to the World Championships in Singapore. And... Um, found myself after I think a lap was after the first portage actually before the first portage was about 1500 meters after the start I broke away on my own and um, I was just so used to going so hard 
like from the gun go and training um that in a race now everyone was like pacing themselves and stuff like that and i suddenly found myself uh, like i did one or maybe one or two intervals too many uh right early in the race and people he's mad you know he's never gonna lost and i was i found myself on my own i think after about an hour and a bit i was close to two minutes ahead of the front bunch of all the previous world champions from Manuel Busto to uh, Ben uh, Ben Brown and Ben Fui was there from New Zealand because um, it wasn't such a far trip from from New Zealand to get to Singapore and uh, and I was I ended up just like giving it stick and um, after about I think an hour and twenty minutes into the race and it was so hot it was ridiculous and um, my brain actually started like going all fuzzy and uh, I was like you know everyone's gonna think that you just got lucky you broke away at the right time um do you think do you really think you could actually beat these guys like man on man like um then i found myself i just i put my paddles down and uh i took some some juice and i sat there and i could hear the guys you know obviously you as you know sound travels across water and you could hear them in their different languages portuguese and spanish and then they were like oh you know like he's blown mcgregor mcgregor he's blown and um, I just waited for them. And for the next, when they did catch me, I knew it was going to happen. They were going to just like steamroll me, you know. They were going to just rotate and work together as like the four guys versus one. And after about two or three minutes of just getting like hammered by these guys um, from like intervals and tactics and just getting squashed out, um, we all found ourselves putting our paddles down. And uh, now there was five of us and we all just sat there. And uh, everyone was like frustrated. And I was like, is that the best you got? I knew you guys could, you know, is that all you got, you know? And uh, with that, the second bunch caught up and we're suddenly like nine now. Um, and uh, everyone was just firing because everyone felt like they had, you know, it was their second chance. The race had just started again. We only had like a half an hour to go to the finish type of thing. And, um, and I found myself sitting on second wave and third wave and at the back. And they wouldn't allow me to ever lead it was like I was being punished, you know, for, for doing what I did, you know, almost like embarrassing them and, you know, on the world stage. And, uh, and uh, deep down, I knew what was happening, you know, and I was just building up the courage to actually say, you know, when I do fire this, my afterburners, it's going to be for the last time. I've got one left, you know. And um, it came to the, just before the last portage, I came around the outside, which is like the worst way to do it. But uh, obviously I couldn't get squashed in, but it was a long way around, you know. And um, I eventually made my way up to get to like Ben's wave, I think. And then I had to do like this major interval to, to suddenly lead into the last portage. And it was almost like I'd given everybody the opportunity to like fire against me. And now it was like my final time. And um, got out, ran really hard, put back in and um, led all the way to the top turn. And I uh, had... Uh, trying to remember it was i think it was uh the hungarian that was next to me and i also had uh Ivan alonso from spain he was next to me and um manuel busto actually pulled out it was his first time ever that he pulled out um he just put through the talent like just after that whole episode when he had caught up and um we came to the final turn and being in singapore in the harbor they didn't uh, stop the the tourist boats so all of a sudden this big sort of tourist boat full of tourists came along and just went right across the front of the field um just before the final turn and i just 
like out the corner of my eye, I just suddenly saw the standing wave coming towards me. And we don't have splash covers. We're not in a surf ski. So all of a sudden, this wave just went like swamped all three of us that were in the front. And um, my boat was like, oh, I must have had 10 liters of water. The Spanish guy got caught in the eddy and uh, he spun around. The Hungarian guy sort of like, he, I don't know what happened there. And we went around the turn. I was like, I cannot believe it that I'm going to get beaten because my boat swamped. And the, the guys behind actually caught up because they saw us go through the wave. And uh, it was like this just bad movie, you know. And yeah. um, I just I put my, my ears back and just went for it. And uh, came to the, like the last 100 meters, I was counting down, you know. I was like, I've got like 25 strokes to go. And I was like, they got to go. You know, if they, if they don't kick now, you know, I've got it. And it was like, there was 24, 23, 22, 21. And I was like, they haven't come yet. They haven't come yet, you know. And I think everyone was just spent, you know. There was just so many things that had happened in one race. And, uh, and I won it, you know, so it had been a dry year since 2003 to 2011 and, um, yeah, took the title and, you know, like going to, to a world championships to the final, you're supposed to bring your tracksuit, you know, if you believe you get a podium, cause you know, you've got to go up on the podium with your tracksuit yeah. and, um, and you're supposed to have closed shoes. <clears throat> Well, I didn't believe I was going to get a medal or anything like <laughs> yeah. that. So, I was, I didn't, so anyway, I ended up going up onto the podium with a pair of board shorts. And, um, and I borrowed somebody else's tracksuit top. It was just one of the masters that had had his tracksuit, you know, being patriotic, coming to the event. And um, so I was, it was quite a unique podium finish. Like on the podium, there was everyone in their national colors. And I've got these voluminous yellow board shorts on. <laughs> this pair of slops. And, um, yeah, from then on, it was pretty much um, I had world world marathon like sort of titles in my blood, and I uh, went to 2012, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to break away. I did it last year. I'm going to do the same thing, and uh, unfortunately, I uh, I fell out on the portage and um, in Rome, and uh, full boat of water got swamped, and uh, rules were quite vague in those days, and uh, I ended up. Um, we had some argy bargy on the portage and um, I ended up getting disqualified. So I crossed the line third, got a bronze and then they took it away from me about an hour later and uh, I got disqualified. So I was like, I can't believe it, you know? Um, and they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't review like the, the footage and they just said, no, you disqualified. ICF disqualification, you're out. So um, I went home Bitter again, and I was like, I cannot believe it. You know, I've gone from world champion to the following year, almost being embarrassed because I've been disqualified. Uh, I, I, I had a medal, and then they took it away from me. And um, they changed the rules that year in 2012. They brought in this whole new thing. You got like this penalty box and portaging and stuff like that. And um, we uh, went. I went to went to Denmark the following year, and I was like. I'm, I'm going to win this title. I want it back. And uh, I had a terrible world champs for Surski. It was the first ICF world Surski champs in, in, in Portugal. And I think I came ninth. Um, and I was just, it was just a shocker. I mean, it was probably the worst race I'd had. And so I went to, to Denmark almost like bruised and battered. Um, emotionally, I was like, you know what? Uh, I've got to do something here. And uh, I ended up getting really sick 
just because of the climate. It was freezing cold in Denmark. I think it rains like 366 days out of the year. And, um, and so, yeah, I ended up uh, coming from Durban. It was super nice and nice and warm going there. It was just freezing cold. I ended up getting sick. And um, uh, I told my wife that uh, I'd just been, we had got married that year. And, uh, and I said to her, look, I'm going to do the first lap. If I'm, uh, if, I'm, if I'm really not feeling well, I'll just pull out. And she was like, I don't think you should start. And we had this big argument. And um, obviously being a married couple, a couple of months now. And she said, well, why don't you just go and warm up? If you warm up and you, feel, you don't feel so good, then, uh, then pull out before you even get on the line. So I said, okay, fine. So let me go for a jog. So um, I ended up <clears throat> going for a jog uh, of about 50 meters. And I couldn't breathe. And ended up stopping around the corner. And I, I looked at my watch and I said, look, she won't know if I've run or not. So she's just waiting by the boathouse. <laughs> yeah. So I just ran around the corner, stood there for nine minutes coughing. Because um, as I started running, I started coughing. Obviously, you know, running spikes your heart rate a lot quicker than paddling. So um, I came back 10 minutes later. Like I sort of grabbed some of the grass because it was wet. And I could sort of rubbed it on myself. It looked like I was sweating. And she was like, how did you feel? So I was like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. And I knew it was just one big lie and um, got on the water and I didn't really warm up. I just paddled slowly because as soon as I started like doing like this mock charge interval, you know, like you see all these guys doing intervals all around you and everyone looks so mean. Um, I just paddled slowly around and I was just hoping that I'll find myself in the diamond or something and maybe I could just weather the storm for the first lap and then pull off and everyone knew that I was like sick in the team and I was just like, you know, I, I tried. And uh, after the first lap, no kidding, I found myself in the diamond and we did the first 2,000 meters. This was no joke. They got it on splits on camera. We did it with Renee Paulson pulling. Um, obviously, he was the golden boy in Denmark at the time. And uh, 7.32 for the first 2K. Not, not a, not, not, a, and we had, uh, so the pace three forty fives. So, uh, so, and I found myself, uh, after that getting on the front wave and, um, everyone was pretty much spent and the pace slowed down and, uh, two hours later I was world champion. Um, and, uh, went to the medic tent and, um, uh, afterwards cause I had drug testing and they took uh, blood and urine. And uh, halfway through the blood test, the, the doctor just said to me, she's like, are you okay? So I was like, uh, not really. She says, you really look unwell. Is it because, are you scared of needles? So I said, yeah, I am scared of needles, but it's not because of the needle. She says, you, you, I think you need to go, you know, maybe and see a doctor. So I was like, well, okay, well, can you help? She's like, no, look, I'm just the, doing the test, but I can recommend a doctor to go to because you actually, uh, you don't look well at all. And, uh, and I was just, from then on, by the time I'd got back to the hotel, um, the, med, the doctor in our, in, our, in our team, he just, uh, he just, they put me on antibiotics and I was pretty much bedridden from then on, flew home the next day, was the worst trip through, as you know, going via Dubai, it's not exactly the shortest trip home. Yeah. And um, from, from then on, like, I was sick for days, you know, but I had the world title, I had the medal in my, in my back pocket and... Um, I think I celebrated by going to McDonald's with my wife. Um, we had a chocolate milkshake, and that was as, as, as good as it Worth got. It. And, um, and then uh, from then on, it was, you know, people were like, are you going to go back? And I was like, no, nah, I'm not going back to marathons. I'm done, you know, time out. And um, 
no kidding, following year found myself with the trials, ended up going to Oklahoma. And everyone's like, I bet you can't win double gold, K1 and K2. And uh, challenge was on. And uh, I was injured at the time. I pulled my Achilles, so I really couldn't run. Um, so I didn't tell anyone. Um, by the time I got to the first portage, I hadn't run in three months. And I just, I'd spoken to all the doctors and they were like, you know, you probably just, it's going to, you're just going to, you're going to hear the snapping sound because you like got a, a it is torn but it hasn't snapped but it's it's so tight it's gonna snap so i jumped out at the first portage and i just waited for that you know like an elastic to snap um, yeah. but uh it, it like it warmed on uh it warmed up uh, during the race and uh got to the last portage and everyone was expecting me to like you know win the last portage but i actually got in i think second or third and i actually won it by over paddling past everybody to the finish line and um yeah, we myself and Jasper Mockett was our first world championships together and we ended up winning the double. Yeah. Um, and I was like, wow, you know, like this this could be done. So I got the double gold. And uh, then it started, you know, it was like 2015, um, went to Hungary, got the singles gold, lost the doubles. So I was bitter again. So I was like, no, I've got to come back. And every year it was like, that's how it went, you know. In 2016, got the double in Germany. And... Um, and everyone was like, well, world champs is in your country the next year in 2017. And I was like, well, I'm going to go for masters. You know, by then it was, I was 39 and I was like, you know, and uh, everyone's like, no, come on, you got to, you got to, you know, it's a home country, you got your hometown. So the pressure was on and, um, you know, touring from Sersky racing and stuff like that, I ended up getting really sick. And my wife's like, you know, she said, don't do it. You know, the last thing you want to do is, lose the world title in your hometown in front of your home country all your mates and stuff so the pressure was on and it was just it got really it got really intense like leading up to it sponsors and stuff and uh, and uh, I don't know I pulled it off I got the singles title and I got the doubles title and um, and it was quite an emotional thing my son was there he got to watch it and he acknowledged it and uh it was something special for me and the whole my whole family was there or actually my dad was overseas because there was a hurricane in, in in america at the time so he was there on his yacht and uh and that was it 10 world titles you know i'd equaled manuel Bustos world world titles i never thought anybody would do it never let alone myself and um it was 10 in the bag every institute that told me i was far too old to even win another title when i was in 2011 they were yeah. like you know and, and now it was 2017 10 world titles and the following year, I was like, I'm not going back, you know, and um, I made a deal with a f Andy Burkett, a friend of mine, um, who had actually come second for the last two years in the singles race. He said, come on, just do the doubles with me in Portugal. And um, and uh, and I was like, uh, no, uh, don't want to do that. And um, and uh, he said, okay, well, I said, I'll make a deal. If if you do the seller descent with me, I'll do... I'll do the national trials. And I mean, our national trials pretty much is one of the hardest teams to make. You know, there's only two in this, two people uh, get two slots available. And, um, yeah, we, we won the trial. Um, we went to the cellar and, uh, we were leading with about 500 meters to go. Um, Spanish guys portaged and we ended up going around and, uh, we got pipped on the line. So I was super bitter with that, but obviously, what a vibe, what a race! 
And uh, now I had to go to the World Championships uh, with him in a K2. And um, got, to, got to World Champs, ended up being the commentator for the K1 race, which was quite something, next to Ivan Lolo, who's like a legend in his own. And uh, many a world title in his back pocket. Sir Ivan Lawler, he was actually knighted. Um, yeah. in, in England and uh, commentated with him which was something and, and while I was watching the race and commentating oh, I had like huge regrets like I wasn't racing you know and um, but the next day I was racing K2 and um, yeah by the time we got to the race uh, we had swapped around I was in the back which was really hard uh, sitting in the back in a world championships like you know always like looking around yeah. and it's like, you know and then you know you, pushing on the footrest but nothing's happening and uh, going left right and anyway we managed to win the world championships and got my 11th world title shared it with him and uh yeah became then the most uh decorated uh, male single male um, marathon paddler of all time so far and i'm sure somebody will break it just like you know nobody thought that anyone would break busto's record and yeah. uh yeah so i got the most individual rec- uh titles and and uh, 4k2 titles so that's pretty much how marathon's been, and um, it's been an incredible journey. And I managed to tour with some amazing people and race some fantastic competitors. And that's uh, in between all of that, you know, I found Surski, which is really my true love, um, because it's a unique, unique event. It always changes. Uh, the ocean's never the same. It doesn't matter even if you paddle in the same place every day. It's never the same, you know. So for me, it's uh, I've got to tour, and it's I think it's just. It's not as serious as the kayaking. I mean, I think you've also done the kayaking scene. Flip, it's intense, you know, and uh, marathon racing is intense. And um, so, yeah, that's pretty much how it's been. And and from my kayaking side, yeah, the marathon side. Yeah, well, what a story. Um, Like, I guess if you break it down a little bit, you've sort of had like a few pivotal moments in your life that you've really sort of kick-started certain things. Like you look at talking about Clint winning that title, um, Olympic, well, Olympic um, championship title back in '92. Uh, as kicked started your like sort of sprint kayaking career up until 2003. Then you miss out on the Olympic Games and you're like, right, I'm going to go marathons. And you go over there and then you win that. But then you sort of something happens where you don't sort of win that next period. And then 2011, you go back and you finally win after eight years. Your sister unfortunately gets in the accident. And for me, I think breaking it down. It sounds like you were just very determined. You were hard working. Like I, I believe that you're probably following that like, the whole more is more with training. I'm just gonna kill myself in training. I'm like I'm resting's like not for oh I've lost you, I think. Are you still there? Yep. Yeah, so yep. resting's um just not really for you. You you're really focused, you're really working really hard. Do you think in some of those periods you were probably working too hard? Because you spoke about after what happened to your sister, you you went out for your night paddles and you were talking about like pushing your mind to the limit essentially because you'd already push your body to the limit most of the time and you probably were focusing mostly on your body but it sounded like you really worked your mind in 2011 2012 and, and after that do you think that was sort of like a, a pivotal change that you made from sort of may, potentially maybe flogging yourself physically but now you're sort of like working on your mind and really making sure that you're sort of like almost 50 50 50 percent body 50 percent mind and really focusing on that area a little bit more. Do you think that's a, a big thing for you? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head, you know. Um, yeah, I think 
like I said, I think training the brain is something unique, you know, and a lot of people don't actually do that. We, we always seem to think that it's, um, it's easier just to, to fall back, um, on your equipment. Um, you know, just base it on, on your craft, your, your paddles or, or, or your coach. Um, but the one thing we always forget is, is like, is, is the brain, you know, and I don't think a lot of people train the brain, you know, and uh, for me at that time, I started, I started training the brain after seeing what it can do firsthand, you know, and, um, and yes, I was determined to, to pretty much uh, train myself harder than anyone else to, to see if I could obviously race harder than anyone else. And uh, probably didn't do me too good at times because like I said, I, I started getting injured, started getting sick. I was getting sick quite often, you know, because I just didn't really believe in rest days. I just felt like, you know, if you could train two or three times a day and, and like, what's the point of training like an easy session, you know, like then it's not really mm. training. So, um, you know, and then the thing with like surf ski paddling is the one thing you, it's hard to do is to train the skill. Um, and, uh, and I think, uh, that's what makes it quite a unique sport. And I, I'm sure something's the same, you know, um, you know, you, you, you can only do so much with your, with your physical ability in, in surf ski racing and, uh, and the same with kayaking, like marathon racing. Um, but then you, you've also got to have tactics, you know, and you've also got to have skill and, um, and you've got to be able to adapt. And I think that's where the brain comes in. You've got to be able to train the brain to adapt and, uh, and every day it's going to be different and every race is going to be different. And I think what happens is a lot of people, you know, you win a world title and you go back and you think, well, I'm just going to do the same thing I did last year and uh, maybe tweak it a little bit, you know, maybe just do, instead of doing nine or 10, uh, 1000 intervals, I'm going to do 11. So I'm going to be a little bit fitter um, and I'm going to do a little bit more gym because I'm going to be a little bit stronger. And, uh, and, and, you know, that craft, I'm going to just make it a little bit lighter, but obviously in marathon racing, it's, you know, eight kgs is they've got a limit you know um but in, in surf ski paddling you know we can change it um get a lighter bite and uh but the one thing you forget is to train the brain you know and um and i think i started doing that and uh i sort of when i won a world title um when i stepped off that podium um just like the two people on either side of me um you know, they, they, were, they were satisfied to come second and satisfied to come third. But if they had a choice, they would have preferred to be standing in the middle where I was. And, um, you know, you, you step off the podium and, and you, you're, like, you've got, you're wearing the medal. Um, but they're wearing, you know, silver and bronze. And, and I suddenly realized that if I have the same mindset as they have, because now they're hungry to win, because they've got so close to that title, you know, I mean, they're on the podium. Um, but if, uh, if you have the same mindset as them, they're going to go home now and they're going to say, you know what, I was so close. Um, but if I'm going to do this and this and I'm going to change that, I reckon I can win it. And so what I started doing is I came home, I stepped off the podium, I left the world title on the podium and um, I basically said, okay, well, you know, it's done. That race is over. And I didn't really hang around in the limelight. Um, mm. You know, I was fortunate enough in South Africa, you didn't really get recognized in this country. Um, like you do in rugby or, or some of the major sports. So we had sort of classed as more of a Cinderella sport, if you want to put it that way. Some people, some journalists put it down, um, which is quite harsh because um, it's your sport. But uh, at the same time, in one way, it kept me hungry. 
you know, because it kept me humble because I didn't walk around like a rock star uh, or have the status of all the sponsors and all the money and uh, stuff like that. And um, so basically I was still hungry. Um, and uh, from then on, you know, I think that I'd spend the next couple of months, at least, at least the next 11 months leading up to the world title with the same mindset as maybe everyone else because the only person I actually wanted to beat was me. Um, so I'd look at all my, my faults, even though I'd won the title. Uh, I'd look at my faults and, uh, and, and see where I maybe could have beaten myself and then try and train that, you know, and uh, go back to the, the World Championships the following year with maybe a totally different uh, tactics, you know, because everyone's already, you know, they've watched the live stream for the last 12 months or 11 months over and over and they've seen your moves, why you do this, how you do that. And so now they know how to block you and whatever. And, but if, so if you do the same thing, they probably, you know, they're probably going to beat you. Well, I know they probably would beat me. So, uh, so I would, I would maybe just keep changing it and I'd reinvent myself every year and I'm still doing that, you know? And, um, and I think that's, that's also the hardest thing for, for an athlete that's been successful is to try and re-motivate yourself to win that same title again, even though you already got it in your cupboard, it's sitting there, you know? Um, but how, what drives you to go back if it's not for the money, you know, and that's what happens with that, you know, with the amateur status, like a world title, when you cross the line, there's no, there's no, there's no money in, in kayaking. It's just the medal and, and it's the title. Whereas like a lot of the surf ski racing and stuff, you know, you obviously get the status, you got the numbers um, and obviously you got, there's always a cash check. So that always helps. Um, but you know, if you if I think if you only race for the cash, I don't think you're always going to win, you know, because you're chasing yeah. the wrong type of title, you know. So for me, um, I've learned I've learned my lesson. Uh, trust me, uh, like I've raced for the money many times, you know, and uh, and uh, sometimes you, you you regret it. Actually, most of the times I regret it. Um, whereas if you just race for for the title, um, I think it's 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 a it's an easier easier target and it's probably more reachable target than racing for the money. I think it's too too much of a distraction. Yeah, so I think what you're talking about a lot there as well is something that I learned probably racing you. I remember racing you at Cape Point Challenge maybe 2011. Remember the the, the year that we went on the inside? We had to go out yes. and back and we we're darting through all those little rocks. Um, you had long hair. Had long hair, ponytail, everything was going on, you know. Um, but <laughs> she met. <it> was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we were, so we we're going through, darting through these rocks, and it was like I think it was you and Grant Vanderbilt leading the charge, and it was like David and Sean Rice and all these guys, and you we were cutting through these rocks. And I'm like, what are these guys doing? Like, like I just want to sit on a wash and just relax and race, and you guys are like darting here and shooting there, and. I think that's when I started really thinking about tactics in racing. So when I came into SUP in like 2015, I'd already been racing you guys for like a few years. I like even training with guys like Jeremy Cotter and all these guys would like do different moves on you all the time when you were racing. So you were learning all these different um, tricks that you can do, but you'd always learn that the, the tricks that they did in that race were never the same the next time. And that's what you were talking about. You're constantly um, yeah. rejigging your, your race plan or taking different opportunities. Like there might be like, you might go into a race with like 15 to 20 different race plans because you know that you're never going to maybe necessarily the same person. They might be, they might have a different weakness to somebody else. You might have a strength in that area. So your race plan has to change depending on what they're good at. Cause if your burst is higher than their, their top burst, you could potentially break that person. Then you could put a gap between those two. And there's like all these things you're thinking about. And it's cool to see that from that 2011 period, that's where you started really thinking about, okay, there's all this other stuff that goes on in racing. And, 
you were sort of like the That's catalyst right. for me to actually learn to do that sort of thing. So it's cool to see you break it down because, and it's cool to hear that you didn't do that before as well. You sort of That's learned it. that over time. And, um, I actually, sure. and I really like it how you basically your career as it sort of started was maybe at 30, 31. So I'm not, I'm not even there yeah. yet. My career is just going to, my career is starting, which is kind of cool to, to hear from you because you basically did all your, all your work or you did all your hard training work between like 15 and 30, but then you got results from all that hard work and, and training and dedication from 30 onwards because you'd already worked hard, but then all you had to do was switch your mind on and go, okay, well I've done the work That's now it. I have to just be a lot smarter with my racing. Yeah. It was, it's, it's a really sure. cool story to hear and hear how your like different challenges that you went through along the way was yeah, it, it's really cool because like you got banned, like you got suspended, you punched a bloke, you you, you went up to the <laughs> SA selectors and said, "No, nah, I'm not racing." Like you guys can go and get stuffed, and so you you sort of had obviously a lot of strong principles that you followed, and I think for me, I learned through Sursky paddling, and obviously with someone like you leading the charge, it was always racing with respect, and it was, and I don't know what happened in that incident, and or you maybe don't want to speak about it, but. I'm sure it was something to do with respect and that's something that I, I've learned and brought, tried to bring into the sports that I do is like we always try and race with respect and if you don't win with respect, you don't win. No, no, for sure. Um, yeah. I think uh, the one thing I've learned is that when you cross the line and you've won a race and the person that comes second um, isn't prepared to shake your hand or come up to you first, um, then obviously you didn't win it cleanly or he feels um, that you may, maybe had a cheap shot. Um, so w when you earn your respect from your peers, your racing peers, I think that's the greatest title. It means that you've deserved it. You know, you, you honestly won the race and um, you, you beat them fair and square. And, uh, and I think for me, that's, that's been something that, that has been installed now, you know, in, in my mind. And, and I'd like to say to all the youngsters coming up, you know, um, it's, it's not about winning, you know, it's, uh, it's how you win. And uh, my dad told me that. And, uh, you know, if, as long as you go out um, with, with the mindset that I'm, I'm going to do everything I can to try and win this race fairly, um, you know, you're probably going to earn the respect from everyone else or your, or the competitors. But it's when you take a cheap shot and you win the race, you know, you, you almost got this, like this cloud hanging over you. And, uh, and that's not something that you want to be associated to or that person. So uh, for me, that's something that I've learned. And, um, and there's, nothing, there's nothing better and more satisfying than racing your heart out and just, you know, even if it's close in sprint and, uh, and you're pipping the guy that you've, you know, you've been, has been a target on your back for so many years when, and the first thing he does is just paddle up next to you and shake your hand and just say, well done, mate, or that was, that was awesome, or flip, you deserved it, or you're like, you know, um, and you know, I think that accolade and, and that is something special. And I think that's what everybody, or a true, a true competitor is chasing. You know? That's what strives. That's what, and it's got nothing to do with the prize money or, or the title, or how big the trophy is, or the media that comes after that. It's just those small moments. That's what, that's what, for me, that's what counts. And that's what I'm chasing. That's what keeps me, keeps me humble and, and obviously keeps me hungry, you know? Yeah. And, and are you, are you still, would you ever do another marathon um, world championships again? Do you think you'd ever go to a, another race? You never say never? Or maybe, maybe, after this, never. Maybe, maybe after this downturn, you might be like itching to go and do one. 
You know what? I, I watched the live stream last year. Like I, I went to World Champs. Um, I got sick. I ended up getting sick in China. Um, I didn't catch Corona. Caught uh, caught singles. And oh, um, that's right. Because you were there the week before yeah. we went over there, weren't you? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I didn't know that I had it, but uh, you know, because I've never had shingles before, I just suddenly I thought I'd got like a traveling rash or something, you know, from sitting in a plane from South Africa, anywhere from South Africa to get to China or Europe or whatever. It takes forever in a day. And um, and uh, yeah, eventually one of the doctors, I had a really sore back for like a week leading into it because I'd been training. I'd been training hard, you know, because I was hungry, you know, like I was like, I want this, I want the, I want my title back, you know, and, um, and uh, yeah, flip, I ended up uh, having to pull out just before I got the flight home and, and uh, that was hard, you know, so I was super bitter again, but with that comes, you, you, you know, all of a sudden you're hungry again, you know, and I think that's what every, every champion is chasing is to, is how do you re, you know, reinvent the hungerness, you know, that's yeah. what, you know, you need some, somebody to either give you a cheap shot or some youngster to say, Hey old man, you know, um, you're lucky you weren't at that race. Cause I would have kicked your ass or something. And you just like, that's all you need. Just, just that little comment and bang, you fired up and here yeah. we go again, you know, and, uh, and uh, you know, it might've been innocent talk or innocent trip, but that's just enough to fire you up. And that's all I need, you know? And, so yeah, flip. Uh, I was I was so hungry to come back and start racing, and um, yeah, I took a couple of races off last year. I mean, the year before because of having my second child, and um, and you know, so you get hungry. You know, you see you see the races like the doctor and stuff, and you see Corey doing so well and winning it, and and you just like you know like that's the fantastic part about media now and sponsors and stuff is that it enables you know you can be on the other side of the world but you can still be right there and 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 it it just fires you up for the training you you just want to go and paddle and you want to go and race and and um and i love the sport i'm so passionate about paddling in in all disciplines you know and you're just lucky i haven't got on a sup yet because uh i i I want to kick your ass you know (laughs) hey come on (laughs) come on old man let's go that's it that's it that's it be careful what you wish for eh? yeah, no, I'll, be, I'll be very keen uh, uh, I, i'm taller than you i can see the run in front whereas you can't you might miss it you know? yeah but um, see the problem is when you're taller your, your center of balance is a lot higher so uh, i don't know if it's going to work out can't i kneel then we'll be the same height yeah you can right? you can do whatever you want knees? yeah <laughs> uh, no i don't think you actually are i think it's like six strokes something like that but it's um no, it's cool to hear your motivation comes from so many different areas because I know for myself I'm looking always like there's always there's one comment or something on social media that you see or um you've got internal motivation or you had a failure or you had a loss and you're like I just gotta I've just gotta correct that and something that's very cool about something like stand up or or ocean ski paddling is you do have a lot of races so if you do make a mistake or you're like ah I just I, I slipped on my paddle or I I made a wrong decision like on which way I went depending on currents or whatever it might be, you've got that race like in two weeks or one week or whatever it is that you can That's make it. up on for your mistakes. But for a sport like marathon paddling, like you don't really get that opportunity. You have to go home, swallow your pride, wait till you get to the opportunity of the trials, which might be nine months away. Then if you miss out on that, then you might have to wait another year, like which happened to you. It just, it must be like, how do you, how did you deal with that period mentally? Like obviously you had, Ocean ski paddling, we'll get into that in a second, but where did you like channel your energies when you were not being able to sort of chase that next marathon title, which is obviously where you became 
the best ever. Well, we're fortunate in our country that it's part of our culture, you know, like every, every week, um, anywhere in, in any province or any state, if you would say, um, all the clubs we have like time trials and all our time trials are 10K or 8K um, time trials and they're all marathon simulated races. And um, for, for me, um, you know, it's, it's, it's almost just part of our culture and we've got river kayaking races, which is our calendars are full, you know, and obviously we've got surf ski races that so, you know, our, the actual competitive calendar, it doesn't, you know, it's, it's not like the European circuit where it just suddenly just like drops off because of the, you know, the cold suddenly pulls in. Um, we got, you know, 23, 24 degrees, 12 months out of the year. So you've got no excuse to, to, to train or to race, you know? And, um, and I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's as much as, as much as I think, um, you know, being the world champion in your own country is, is a cool thing. Um, it also, <laughs> it inspires everyone else to, to, to get off their butts and actually say and believe in themselves and say, well, if he can do it and he trained here, then there's no reason why I can't do it. And I yeah. think that's coming for you. That it will come. And, uh, and, and all of a sudden you've got these youngsters that are like, in the local time trials with the local, like I trained with my dad's squad or something like that. And you got these up and coming guys, uh, 21, 22, 23 year old guys. And, uh, and they're all taking a shot at you at whatever session it is, you know, they all, they're all giving it a go. And, um, and it, and I suddenly realized like, you know, I'm inspiring other people and, and, and by that they're inspiring me. And so because of that, we can, you know, it, it wasn't, it's not like sudden nine or 10 months before we get the opportunity to race again. We can race every single week in the local time trials and in the, in the, in your, in your squad. And, uh, and, uh, from that, um, obviously at the same time, you know, we've gold and silver medalists, uh, in K1 men's world for the, I think for 2016, 2017, um, it's pretty hard to make our team. So yeah. as much as we're inspiring the youngsters, we're not inspiring the seniors because they like, what's the point of traveling all the way to that state to do that trial when we've got to race against the number one and number two in the world. And, uh, and they, they're still looking in good shape and stuff. It's not like, you know, um, so we're inspiring the youngsters, the up and coming, uh, you inspiring the masters cause they like, you know, they fired up. They obviously with the training programs and stuff, it's obviously working from on the, on the top scale of, of racing. So, uh, but at the same time, you're not really inspiring the, the, the actual men's senior racing suddenly started like sort of falling away. Like then yeah. we'd rock up at our national trials and there'd only be like a handful of guys because guys were like, flip, it's, it's, it's kind of like a waste of money to go to trials. Yeah. <laughs> no prize money. Um, the chances of us making the team is like, so K2 became quite something because there's always two spots and then, like I'd be racing with Jasper in, in, in the K2 and, and they'll be like, oh, there's another chance here. Um, but then we started getting like medals in both. I mean, in, in 20, uh, 2017, uh, 2016, we got, we medaled in the K1 men's K1 uh, gold and silver and in the K2s gold and bronze. So, I mean, it, it's, it's quite something to make our marathon senior men's team because yeah. you're pretty much almost guaranteed of a medal on the world championships. So, uh, so, but by doing that, we've obviously raised the level and by doing that, um, 
you, you you're inspiring the youngsters and by doing that it's 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 steamrolling and so that's what's yeah. kept me inspired during those nine ten months you know it's not like i go home to nothing or no one and just like this isolation you know so um you know my dad's squad that he has the max squad is just made up of purely marathon paddlers basically and they either from med- winning medals and juniors to to all the way to under 23 men and uh, and 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 women you know so you know marathon is 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 really uh, is really strong in our country and right throughout the youngsters and then obviously they always trying to take the chip out of you so yeah. it's a good thing it's a good vibe no and, and it might you must have seen so many different phases of like the competitors coming through as well because you've been paddling for almost 30 years now and yeah, you must have seen like I was talking to a guy the other day and he was talking about like it was like five year blocks of like basically people who came through and dominated for certain periods of time. Was that something that you saw in marathon kayaking as well? Like there was like sort of periods of time where you had like Manuel Busto that you were speaking about before yourself. Were there other guys through that period where you're like they're always going to be there? They're always going to be on the podium? No, for sure. I think the Spanish, um, the Spanish, the Portuguese, um, I think they have a similar type of uh, background racing, river racing, kayak racing. So I think for, for them, they've always been good. And, and the Hungarians, you know, um, you know, a lot of the Hungarians obviously are from sprint kayaking background and they can also jump into the marathon side. So I think from that aspect, um, yeah, they, they always seem to be... <laughs> I think, I mean, if you go into Hungary, uh, when you go to a World Marathon Championship, the only medals they weren't winning were the senior men's, really. Um, you know, at one stage, I think out of the 26 or 25 races, I think Hungary won 23 or 24 gold medals. Um, yeah. So, like, it's, you know, it's quite something. You know, uh, Australia, you guys haven't seemed to, like, really done too well on the marathon side. I mean, you guys are phenomenal in the kayaking, sprint kayaking. But I don't think the culture is there in the marathon racing. Um, as much as I think because you have life saving, it's so strong and uncle Toby's and the Nutrigain series and all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. You know, we don't have that. So marathon racing becomes really popular in our, in our country. Um, but yeah, those countries, there's, there's a few European com- countries and, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing who's, who's going to take over from who's going to be the next block. Like you say, you know, um, but one thing I have seen, unfortunately is it, through the youngsters, I've seen so many potential future marathon world champions fall by the wayside. And, mm. um, and they're normally the most uh, talented kids. They're normally the ones that are winning throughout the juniors. And, and they just, they've got that natural talent. You know, it just comes easy to them. You know, winning is just easy. And, um, and the parents are like, oh, so what must I do here? And Do you think he or she should... Uh, you know, get this boat or that equipment or what do you think? Or should I approach these sponsors for him or there? You know, and, and I'm like, hey, yeah, no, I don't think so. And um, unfortunately, what I have seen is that as soon as they, like sort of the other juniors sort of catch up to a certain degree or they, they hit their first loss, they don't come back. And that's mm. something that I've noticed year in, year out. You know, it's, it's the, the super talented ones. Um, I'm not saying everyone, but the super talented ones. And there's been many, many super talented, gifted kids and youngsters. And they seem to be the first ones to bail and they go yep. to do something else. Or, and, uh, and, and it's the hardworking ones, uh, the ones that, are like, that have struggled right throughout the juniors, suddenly become like good under 23s. And the next minute, they like, they, they're chasing on your heels for, for the senior title 
and I think that's that's been something that I've seen over the last thirty years of racing. Yeah. Is, uh, and 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 it's 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 strange because you would think it it would be the opposite way around, but it's it's that sport that enables the tough the tough kids and the ones that are hardworking to actually come through in the end of the day. You know. Yeah, it's so evident. I think in most sports, like you even see, I just speak about surf, Ironman, in stand up paddling, in sprint kayaking, like all these sports, and probably in like I don't know Aussie rules and like NFL and whatever else there is out in the world or rugby that you probably guys follow, like it is the grinders who generally make it. There is all these guys who are super talented, especially through school. Like there were so many guys who were just awesome at stuff, but they just didn't, they weren't really working hard to get it. And then it sort of gets to a point where you sort of hit 18 and you got to go, right, like I got to make my own decisions. I'm going to like commit to keeping on training and the keeping that consistency going. And that's what gives you results when you're 25, you're 30. And that's what I always say when people come to, to me, especially in stand up paddling and, they go, oh, you just like got good stand-up paddling overnight. And I was like, no, I don't think so. Like I've been training for 20 years and I've always loved training. And it may not have necessarily been in stand-up, but it was it was paddling in a, in a sport or it was, it was surf ski or surf Ironman yeah. or before that. And you, all those kilometers and all those years add up. They don't just go away. Your body knows, like starts to know what to do when those situation counts. And then you do get more mature. You do get smarter with the way you race and you approach situations so differently to what you, I would have like, even now I'm 29 and the situations that I would approach when I was 18 would have just been completely different. Like I was like scared of racing. Like I, I was the best trainer, but when it came to crunch time, I could never do it. Now I'm almost the opposite. I'm, I'm a really good trainer, probably a smarter trainer, but when it counts, that's when I want to excel. And I know when it gets down to that crunch time of a race, I'm going to kill myself to get to that finish line. There's no excuse that's going to stop me from getting there. And, that's something I think that the the champions like yourself learn over time and, and you do become exceptional at what you do. Um, but now moving forward a little bit, I do want to speak a bit about ocean ski paddling because obviously you were, marathon paddling was a big part of your life, but at the same time, you're doing a lot of ocean ski paddling. What was your, say your first race in ocean ski paddling and how did that career sort of start for you? Because obviously there was probably more lucrative, um, more like cooler spots you can go to and probably a good place to, to treat, to train your mind because it's a bit more of a relaxed atmosphere as you was talking about before compared to the sport you've been in previously. Um, so I guess my question is when did you start ocean ski paddling and how important was that, I guess, in a way for your marathon paddling? I started ocean ski paddling during that time when, when, uh, I had my disease in my knees and, um, I went to do Cape point challenge. I was 15. And, um, from then it was that race. It wasn't like it is now where it's based basically individual uh, singles. Um, it was, it was line honors. So, you know, you could race doubles or singles, but it almost like if you, if you race singles, you, you, you didn't have a partner because obviously nobody wanted to paddle with you. Um, so it was like sort of doubles was like more of the category to win. And, um, and there was no prize money. I mean, we would win, you know, you'd carry a flares and when you got to the finish, hand your flare and then you'd get the t-shirt said like, basically you completed the race, the Cape Point Challenge and that was it. That was prize, that was prize giving, you know. Yeah. Um, so for me, uh, yeah. Uh, I think, I think I can still hear just your uh, audio cut out. Yeah. yeah. yeah there we go. Uh, okay. And, and um, yeah, from there, I managed to, to win the, 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 the race with my dad in, in the doubles yeah. and um, 
I was 15 and we were racing, I think, Peter Cole and Martin Dre. Peter Cole actually runs the event now. He's a yep. race organizer. And, um, and I was like, geez, you know, I can do this. You know, this is not a bad sport. And obviously the races were super ultra distance. And uh, from then, I remember racing, I think I was 18 years old. And um, I got to race Dean Gardner for the first time. He came out to South Africa and we had a guy uh, like reinvent the sort of sort of or simulate the, the Uncle Toby's sort of vibe of a race, you know, because he had been in Australia, he had been, uh, he had been on the scene um, and uh, he, he did this race where we had to qualify the day before. So it was a two stage race and uh, ended up like uh, taking the top 25 guys and putting them into a a 5k five race knockout and um every every 5k's they would knock out the last five guys and uh, i remember racing um obviously then as a senior you know because there was not under 23 or under 21 categories or anything those days it was just junior and you go straight to seniors and this was an open race you know it was and we we're racing for money you know and um and i, I remember racing oscar and herman and uh, they had this Aussie guy came out and it was Dean Gardner, you know, and everyone's like, oh, he's, you know, he's won the Molokai and, and Oscar was talking him up and stuff. And, uh, but Oscar's won more than he is. And as Oscar would say, and, um, <laughs> and my dad was racing and, um, it, it ended up, uh, so the knockout and I remember, I think I knocked out Dean on the second last race. So oh. I was, it was, it was Oscar Herman, uh, my dad, and myself, um, I think it was, was it four in the final? It was four or five of us in the final. And I remember, you know, it, as you cross the line after, the, after each 5K, the, as the first person crossed the line, they would start the 10-minute, like start the watch. And I remember Oscar, you know, he went really hard, I think, on the second last race. And when he crossed the line, he started his own watch and he was counting everybody down. So if you, once you came in, you only had 10 minutes before the next race started for the final. And it was, it was really cool. We had a big crowd. They had like that, like a tunnel sort of finish. And, um, and I ended up, we came to the last wave and all four of us tried to get on the wave and I just didn't have the power, you know, these, these, you know, the other three, my dad and, and Oscar and Herman ended up having a run up the beach. Um, and Oscar can run when he wants to run. Yeah. And, uh, I think uh, ended up a three-way dive. I think Herman got it and my dad and Oscar ended up second and third and yeah. I ended up fourth. And from then I was like, you know, I can, I can hang with the big guys, you know? And, I, and, um, and then that whole thing, you know, Dean Gardner, Molokai, Oscar, Molokai. And I was like, I got to race both of them. I beat the one. And I was like, you know, maybe I can go and do that race one day, you know, but it seems like it's the other side of the world. What it actually is for South Africa. It is on the other yeah. side of the world. And, um, and, uh, yeah, from then on, it was like, you know, doing the local races and, uh, moving on to, to, you know, suddenly sponsors started like showing the heads. I got sponsored by Finn back then. Um, so how, so it was was like when you were like 18, you're getting sponsored by 1996. Yeah. Wow. Um, to get like, well, I got like a, I didn't get a free ski, but, um, yeah, we got sort of like a really good discount and, yeah. and I was like, like sponsored, you know, uh, in Sersky racing and um, didn't know whether it would actually, that I'd still be sponsored now at uh, 42 by, by Finn, um, which is great, great history of with us. And, uh, 
yeah, moved on to, to obviously racing, you know, that the big races started coming up, popping up like Dubai, you know, um, the, and, and big money races started coming up and then, and you're just like, you know, I could do this. And this was all thrown in, in between the, the kayaking, you know, and I sort of felt like it was, it was easier for me to do surf ski racing just because I grew up on the ocean. And like, I think exactly what you said, you know, you've, you've, you've learned the tools from, uh, from other sports uh, disciplines, you know, like life saving and Ironman racing and, and how, to, how to catch a wave and surf and look for a wave. And then obviously doing um, sailing, you know, I spent a lot of time sailing. You get to read the ocean, use the wind. Um, and uh, for, for me, you know, just sort of naturally surf ski racing, you know, for me, it feels like a natural thing. You know, I don't, don't necessarily have to train the, the skills. You can always improve it. Don't get me wrong. You can always improve your skills. You can always learn to go faster. It's just that for me, it's, it's, it's really hard to try and tell somebody else how to catch a run when they've never actually caught a run. Um, but, you know, that's where clinics and, and you know, so on, that's what it's always grown. But um, the sport's grown from that. And, um, and obviously, because of the races that we travel to, um, you know, we got to go to these exotic places. And, um, you know, initially it started off that I had a fun myself. And, and then obviously doing well in racing, you know, my first Molokai I went across, um, I paid for myself to go. And then, um, and I actually, uh, ended up coming second to Lewis Lochen, um, yep. the Tahitian God, you know, of, of Sersky racing. And, yep. um, and he's just super cool. You know, he was just super humble. And, um, and, uh, for me, it was, it was, it was quite something, you know, and, uh, and then, you know, I sort of got involved with epic kites and uh and and so on and and, and I've, I've sort of grown with the with the sponsors and um and uh obviously you know Molokai has always been a big thing for me uh, I've done nine Molokai crossings now and um and it's just such a unique race and it's just I think it's it's just one of those races where it's it's I think everybody wants that title and and, and it's not really about the money. The money's never really been good for that. But uh, there's been a lot of other races that have popped up and, and everyone's just chasing the money. And like, like I said to you earlier, you know, when you start doing that, you don't always come away with it. Um, yeah. Because maybe you're racing for the wrong reason. Um, but Molokai has always been, for me, the right reason. And it's been to, to cross the channel as fast as you possibly can and hopefully take that title, you know. What what is so special about Molokai? Because I know I speak to so many different people so far with these these podcasts, and Molokai always comes up. It's always like it's like a someone someone's passion, and like it's like the, this journey and experience. You get on the plane in the morning, or you fly over the night before, and you stay on the island, and you're paddling back. There's all these escort boats, and then obviously you've got the greats of, especially in surf ski. Like you've got Oscar Chalopsky's won a lot, uh, Grant Kenny, uh, even Leachy won one, uh, Lewis Lachlan. I think Herman's won one, um, Dean Gardner, you've got all these great names and you, you put your name up there with sort of the, the un, I guess it was the unofficial world championships for a long time. What, what, how important was it when you won your first one and what year was it? I think, yeah, he, you're right in saying it's unofficial world championships, but I think it's always going to be the world championships um, yep. in, in surfski racing. You know, I think, you, you know, just like in boxing, you get the different federations. Um, you know, I think, you know, we've, we've got the ICF uh, surfski world title that's, that's out there. And, um, but I think the Molokas, there's still the open ocean world championships. You know, I think it's, it's, it's a unique one and I think it always have that status. And I think everyone's, wanted to just go out there and just say that I've done it, you know, tick that box, you know, and then there's another thing saying I'd like to win it, you know, and, um, 
I think what's unique about that race is is um, it's never the same. Um, and obviously the escort bikes, um, it's quite something, you know, my, no other race has that. Um, that everyone else has to have an escort, everyone has to have an escort, escort bike. And, um, and I think the, just the, the, the logistics is just next level stuff. Um, so by the time you actually get to the start line, you've done so much to actually get there. And, uh, and now you've got this, this channel crossing. And um, I mean, for many a, a year I've been there and, and there's been no wind. And you've always got these guys like Oscar and Dean or whatever saying, oh, I remember when it was this year, it was like those palm trees, the coconuts were flying off. And, <laughs> and they've, they've always got all these great stories about the past. And I'm like, yeah, when yeah. am I ever going to get one of these? You know, and, and you look around and everyone's got that that sort of, you know, that, uh, that shy grin on their face. But I think it's almost like this, this anticipation of like what's coming and it's like, oh my word, you know, everyone's really nervous and, and you don't really know if you're going to go out hard or you're going to, you're going to like pace it in the beginning or, or you're going to like, you know, who you're going to follow or are you going to lead or, and it's, it's, you're going to go North or South, uh, you know, you're going to follow the local guys like Pat or, or, or Lewis or, and they're going South and you just like, there's so many variables to the race compared to any other surf ski race, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I think that's what makes it so unique and it's, and the distance is one thing, but obviously crossing the channel is, is, is something. And um, yeah, when I, uh, first time I, I won it, I think it was 2008, 2009, I think when I won the, the Molokai for the first time. And yeah, 2009. And I'd done two prior to that. Um, I did the one uh, where it was, we finished at Waikiki Beach. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know, they just, the, the organizer just tried to say, listen, we're going to make it. So it'll be like, you know, more crowd at the finish, you know, oh my word, but nobody knows they're just going to add on extra, like I think it's like 12K or 11K. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. And, um, I ended up, uh, we started and, uh, I never forget Oscar had his GPS where he had two GPSs on and uh, the one was giving him the direction. The other one was giving him like, he had put his waypoints in, and he was like, if we carry on like this guys, Winning time predicted is six hours thirty-five, and uh, I was like, "Are you shitting me? Six hours thirty-five? I've only I don't have an escort because they sort of said for the South Africans, the poor South Africans out there, you know, you guys could share one or two boats or whatever, and yeah. there's like a group of us going. And um, I, I had like three liters of juice. Well, I had finished it from about I think I was about ten k's out from from a while um there was no juice i was sucking just plastic and uh, and i was like i can't be that far to go you know but as you know those mountains are so high and um and uh cocoa head and and yeah i ended up blowing like you cannot believe and lewis came past me with uh, with about five k's to go and yeah. uh, we ended up i think it was five hours 25 i think or five hours 20 something was winning time and uh i remember seeing him going around the final marker there just before Atriga and um, and I'm, I, I couldn't feel my arms, you know, you're just numb, you know, sunburnt, like it was just, yeah. I was broken and, uh, and, uh, and I remember him like crossing the line and, and I could hear the crowd and whatever and I got there and he was like so humble. He was like, hey man, well done and he's such a great patterner and stuff and it was so cool to like, you know, and I was like, I'm coming back, you know, and I came back the following year and he, he picked me again, you know, the second time. And we finished then at the normal place there um, at a Waikai. And, uh, 
and I was like, okay, now I'm, I'm definitely going to come back and win this race. And, um, and that's when Clint Robinson and myself, we had sort of like this big duel. And, um, and that's when I stayed with him and roomed with him in, in, uh, in, in Perth and for the doctor and, uh, really got to know him and, um, and we shook hands and I said, well, the next time when we meet, um, you'll be shaking my hand when I've crossed the line and kicked your ass at Molokai. And he took offense to that. And, uh, you know, I spurred him on and I came home and I trained my ass off, you know, and I just, I just wanted to beat him, you know, and, um, we ended up going across the channel at like, lightning speed for the first it was like a milk pond i mean there's been footage where it's actually looked like we're paddling on a lake it's it's yeah. just a mirror and i remember tj was there and and we went off i mean we were just clocking some incredible times and we both had identical boats we were both sponsored by epic and it was like it was quite something and um, i remember he ended up cramping really badly at like two and a half hours and i remember i had like my escort boat and his escort boat and I had these Aussie shouting like he's broken, Clint, he's broken, he's, and and I had my escort by Joe Glickman was on board and stuff, and uh, Mark Sandfold was driving and Zolt, and uh, and they were shouting, "Come on, Hank, come on, Hank, you know he can kick his ass," you know. So I had this like sort of Americans versus Aussies, and it was like I was a sapper in the middle, and um, I waited for the escort boats to to like peel off, and they went to go and check other people and stuff and see who was coming second, uh, third, and fourth. And uh, Clint went dropped onto my tail slip, and like I just I put the hammer down and went for broke, and yeah, the next one I heard him like screaming, and I looked back and he had his legs out and he was just cramping, and and I was like, this is fantastic, and um, yeah, you know, I was I was so pumped. I mean, if somebody, I reckon I could have paddled through a brick wall right there, and I felt nothing. I was just I was so excited, and the escort boats came back, and they're like, oh my god, you've dropped him, you've dropped him, and I looked back and he still hadn't moved, you know. And yeah. I was like, I can't believe this is great. And about 10 minutes later, I really started blowing badly because I think I'd gone far too hard. And, yeah. uh, and I was like, oh, it's fine. You know, the island's not so far off. Well, 20 minutes after that, I looked and the island looked exactly the same. Nothing had changed. And the escort boat's like, hey, Hank, um, I think you need to up your, up your rate. And, uh, and TJ's closing you down fast and i was just like are you joking are you serious now i'm gonna lose this race after this enormous battle versus guy and all the chirps and the lead up and then uh, yeah tim jacobs is gonna come through and, and take the title and uh i dug really deep and um yeah managed to 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 pull off the pull off the win and and i was broken i mean i crossed that line it was just shy i think it was three hours 50 odd and i went yeah. i think i won it by about four minutes and um tim was second and uh and I was like, I was spent. And I remember Clint coming up to me afterwards in the car park. And, um, and I was, you know, waiting for this sort of, you know, like either it's going to be a punch or a slap or, you know, like, and he actually came up and he was super humble and he just like, yeah, well done, mate, you know, you deserved it. And, uh, you know, it was great racing against you. And for me, that was, I always, that's, that, that's been really something special in my life, you know, to get acknowledged by him, you know, and, uh, and I didn't go back again. For, for many a year, I was like, no, I've done. Tick the box, beat the legend, and uh, you know, and 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 I beat Oscar as well. So that was cool. And um, and uh, actually, Oscar's never beaten me on Molokai. The nine that I've done, he's never beaten me. Um, yeah. So I'll I'll, I'll, cl I'll claim that. I'll claim that. Oscar, uh, if you're watching, sure you're... I feel free to make a comment. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's uh, he... but that's what inspires people, you know. But yeah, um, yeah, we. Uh, 
but uh, yeah, from then on, um, didn't come back for a few years, and then I I, I re-signed with uh, Epic, uh, I think in 2014, and came back and uh, managed to win again. Had another battle against Clint, and um, and uh, I think uh, I think 2015, um, I think Corey won it, and um, yep, I was I was uh, I was too busy. Marking Clint, you know, everything was always about Clint and myself and Clint and myself. Yeah. And we're like, if he went south, I must go south. And everyone's like, and, you know, we sort of let Corey at that stage, you know, he had moved to Finn and, and uh, you know, left the epic side and stuff. And, and we had raced, you know, prior to against each other and stuff. And, and yet he was always there and then he seemed to have come off towards the end. But um, that year he was, he was hungry. Like I said, he did something right and uh, he went up north and um, sort of, Broke away from us and uh, got the title, you know. From uh, took it from from both of us, you know. And uh, and for me, I was like, "Jeez, I got to come back." And uh, came back the following year, and um, yo, I ended up having a duel with with Corey, and that's how the relationship of of racing has started, you know. And he's a phenomenal athlete and a great competitor and and super humble, you know, which which makes it even harder to race against. You know, it would be yeah. easier if he was a prick. Um, but uh, but he's not, you know. He's he's really humble and uh, he's a he's a true gentleman, and at the same time a really great competitor and a and, and a champion. You know? So for me, coming back, uh, we ended up dicing each other. He went, I don't know, clearly went over the rocks uh, at the reef, and um, I remember paddling past him, and he was going like a duck with one leg in a circle, and I was like, what happened? And he was like, oh, I hit the reef, and I was like, flip, I'm sorry, you know, I don't really know what else to say. And I ended up uh, winning that year. But for me, it was, okay, fine, you know. I got the title, but um, I didn't feel like I, I had earned it, you know, the, yeah. the way I'd want it. And, um, yeah, came back the following year and, uh, you know, Sean Rice took it from both of us, from Corey and myself. And um, and I, I could see the frustration on – but I managed to beat Corey. You know, we, yeah. we came into uh, to, uh, to Portlock pretty close together and I pulled away from him so I was almost like see I got you you know but I had lost the title so all of that you know once brings you back you know and you're just like you can't let that the unknown guy you can't always always for me I think about Molokai the defending champion isn't always the guy that's maybe going to win it it's maybe that that hungry paddler that's been training for the last 12 months that has been super inspired those are the guys that you've got to look out for. You've got to look sharp. And if they take a chance, and I think that's what Molokai is, it's unique. You know, you've, you've got when after about 10 Ks, everyone's just spread out. And you can just, far as you can see, is escort boats. And obviously, you're coming into the, the female race and, and in front of you, and you just see escort boats everywhere. So it's really hard to mark everybody. You know, it's, so it's unique. Um, but at the end of the day, you've got to do your best race, take your best line, and then hope for the best at the end of the day. And, and hopefully, luck's on your side, you know. And, and you still got to have your wits about you when you come around uh, Port Lock that you don't take a chance. And um, I remember we came back in uh, 2018 and and I was like, okay, you know, I want this title back. And uh, we got to Port Lock and uh, Corey just had that edge on me. He was just, just you know, that 50 meters ahead. And, um, you know, I was like, go over the reef, reef again, you bastard, you know. <laughs> but he had learned his lesson and... Um, he deserved it, you know. We we came all the way. We were still giving it all the way until we came under the bridge. I mean, he was under the bridge. I was under the bridge. It was probably like 50 meters in it. Um, 
and I, I remember coming around the corner, I was like, I've got 500 meters to go and, and he's got a 50 meter lead on me. And it's like, I'm like, unless I've got like Ken Wallace finishing me, I'm never going to pass him, you know? And, uh, yeah. and I sort of like, I gave it up with like 250 to go. And, and that's also like hard, you know, when you, when you actually after racing 50 odd Ks and then you, you've you throw in the towel, you're like, okay, you want it, you know? And, I remember crossing the line and just saying, hey, well done, you know, you deserve it. And, um, and he, at the same time, he broke the record, which all of a sudden, like, started this whole new thing. It's like, Corey is now the fastest, you know, ocean paddler to cross the channel. Um, obviously, there's people faster now with, you know, the foils and stuff, but he was the fastest, like, you know, ocean ski paddler. And, um, and that really, I was like, flip, you know, it got, got me there, you know, and I think, um, I didn't want to come back, but I did. And, uh, you know, I came back last year with young guy, Josh Finn, and we traveled together and it was really cool, up and coming, got all the talent. And, um, and yeah, we got to room together and got to, to meet the Sean Partners team, you know, obviously Earl and Alan. I mean, they've done so much for, for paddling in, in general, you know, and uh, in the sports, especially in Australia. And now they're obviously branching out into other countries worldwide. And, um, you know, they're doing wonders for the sport and, uh, and obviously with prize money and obviously just the media and the hype and everything leading up to it, it's just making it that much more exciting to be part of. And I uh, got to hang out with all the Aussie Ironman legends and stuff like that and got to yeah. throw some chirps and it almost felt like we, you know, there was only a few Saffirs. It was Haley and, uh, and, and Josh and myself and, um, and Fishy Paul, obviously, from Haley's husband. And we were like the odd ones out of like the 60 strong Aussies that were there, you know, with all your, the girlfriends and the wives. And, uh, and uh, like, I just, I just almost felt like, you know, um, I want this one. You know? I, want yeah. this one. I want to come back here and I want to take away, you know, the want, I, want, I want to take away the title from, from the humble champion, you know. Um, yeah. And, you know, obviously hanging out with the guys for a week, you know, you, you flip and um, you realize how professional the team was and, and uh, you know, with their manager and uh, Jay Walker when, he's, when he wasn't live, live streaming Facebook. <laughs> he was really great to talk to. And, um, you know, with, with Shannon and uh, old Kendrick and... Um, Cooley and stuff like that and then obviously meeting Alistair um, you know I suddenly realized this was a, this was a proper race we were out you know and um, you know and obviously having Earl uh, you know spurring us on all the time you know and then they put up this you know extra cash incentive if anybody broke the record and I was just like this is crazy nobody's going to break the record it took 20 odd years just I think 24 years or something to yeah. break the record in the first place and and we had Dean there as well and, and the conditions weren't looking as great as it was the year before and uh, and then yeah got to I remember the day before and we were like so um, where's Corey in there no he's gone you know he's gone to the island already and I think you went as well I think you went the day no, before no. and I was like no no I went oh, the morning off no, yeah 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 you went the morning and uh, and I remember saying the guys he's on you know this is this is game one you know oh and, no uh, sorry I, I did go the night before that's right I had dinner with Corey yeah. actually at the at the yeah you know See? better than I do yeah yeah exactly so uh, and I remember just thinking uh, you, you know these guys are professional and uh, this is what it's it's going to be a proper race and um Oh, it's one to remember, you know, we came to Portlock together and um, it was just, uh, it was it was one of those moments, like I was pretty much spent and I just pulled up next to him and I was like, oh, well, 
let's get it on, you know? And he, he said something or whatever. I can't remember exactly, but he was like, oh, are you serious or whatever? And, uh, and we were like so close. I mean, we pretty much could have swapped blades or whatever, you know? And um, I just, I went wide. I didn't even want to take, take a wave, you know? And I just, I knew if I could just get to the flat water, I believed I had him, you know? And um, yeah, I just, I just remember seeing the surf and I was like, Phew. There's some surf today, you know. Yeah. And uh, I picked up a wave on the outside. Corey sort of went for the first one, and I was like, "It's too soon," you know. And then he had to like sort of double back, but I was I was sort of going in like just across the channel, and um, uh, like into into the channel, like away from the surfers, and you could just see all the surfers paddling. And uh, and I remember looking back and thinking, "Geez, if I can catch this wave and hold it, um, you know, I can I can open up a gap." And uh, I went for it, and I managed to get on it, and the only person that was on it was another surfer and he was surfing next to me and, and he was like oh yeah man good job good job man could you hold the wave <laughs> and i was just like you please don't cock this up you know yeah and anyway i managed to to look back and Corey wasn't uh, he wasn't on the next wave and then um you know i put my head down i was like it's not over yet you know you can mess this up and uh, came to that second reef section and uh and I was like too busy looking back and you just, there was so much going on. I was like, it's all, it's on, it's on, you know, you can, you can do this. And, um, and, uh, I don't know, the next minute I looked down and I, it, the reef just was like, it was like so shallow and the water was so clear. And with that, my paddle touched, uh, some coral or whatever. Yeah. And I just froze my heart, my heart, just everything just went like I was in shock and I just turned the boat and I just went over the falls, landed upside down. And I was like, I cannot believe I've, I've thrown it away, you know. And um, the only thing that was actually holding me to the boat was I had my juices around my neck. And it was attached to the, to the boat. And like, it, like it's, it was just, it was just, everything was happening and it shouldn't be happening. And I was like, I cannot believe this. And my escort boat was like, come on, Hank, come on, Hank. And I looked back and I just saw Corey and he was just like, he was larger than life. And he was a big guy anyway, but he was just larger than life. And he was coming at me like a steam train. And I was just like, I cannot believe it, you know. And uh, we came through the bridge and I looked back and he was like coming through the bridge as well. And I was just like, flip, this is exactly the same as last year, you know. And I just put my head down and I just, I was, I was numb and I was just giving it. And uh, about like 250 meters to go, I looked back and, and I, and I realized like he wasn't going to catch. And then the escort boat's like, don't stop, don't stop. Go for the record, go for the record. I was like, what? What are you talking about? And I looked down and I was like, you know, three hours. Okay. It's, you know, she's okay. I looked up at the finish, looked at the watch. And again, I was like, no ways. You know, if I can't get to the finish in about a minute's time, I mean, it's going to, the record was three hours, I think 15. Um, and uh, and I was looking down. I was like, uh, "Okay, I think you got the record." And I got it in three hours eleven. And it was just everything just to seem to just yeah, it was just one of those moments. Corey came up and he was like, "Well done, mate. You know, unbelievable. You deserve it." And like I said, those were the special moments. And and then you know, just everyone was like, "You got the record." And it was like it was just it was fantastic. You know, I went back to the hotel and um, the, like. It, all of a sudden Sean partners and all the Australians were actually we're all just it was like one big happy family and it was like everybody had was just acknowledging your achievement and it was something special there was no bitterness there was no one uh, you know that was like uh, the nose was out of joint or anything like that and then Corey was super humble and uh, even though it was so close you know and uh, 
and obviously Jordan Mercy, she got the record as well. So it was just like, there was such a great vibe. And I think that's what's so special about that race. And, and I, I, I think it's really going to be hard for me to go back and ever trump that, you know. So who knows if I ever venture back to Molokai. But um, it's just, it's, it's one of those races, like I say, it's super unique and it's super special. And I, I've really enjoyed it. And uh, it's been fantastic, you know. And uh, last year was just, I think, a highlight for me. And uh, yeah. And if it doesn't happen this year, I'm going to keep the record for another year. Yeah. So I'll, yeah, I'll claim absolutely. that. And I've still got the title. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's going to happen. I don't think they're going to be but, racing uh, this year, that's for sure. Yeah. So, But yeah, it's, it's a unique race and it's special. And, and, and I think uh, everyone that wants to do it, you know what, if you can and you can afford it, go out there and try it, you know. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, one, it's a box ticking event. Yeah, it, I think you just, as I said before we started, like you're just putting your name up with the greats of the sport and you're a great of the sport. And I think the there's just like so much drama, especially like listening to your story and how much passion and excitement you had telling that story of you and Corey last year and you're going over the falls on that wave and you feel like everything's going to be over and nothing breaks and you're sweet and you get back on and like you've got the same sort of distance and you hear this cue that like you're going to break the record. And you're like, I wasn't even thinking about that. I was just trying to beat Corey. And then it just sort of all happened in a way. And I know... You and Corey have had that sort of battle for the past uh, maybe five years since he won his first um, title in 2015. But then he had really strong years, I think 17, 18, 19. But you and him have been going back and forth and you're speaking about rivalries and thinking about what motivates you to go and train. Like obviously Corey getting that record and getting that title in 2018 was just so influential and you wanting to go back in 2019. Because I remember I was at the, obviously the hotel with all the Sharon Partners people and I could just tell like, Hank wasn't always there. Hank was like, motor, like sit maybe at home, like resting or like not at drinks, like at night when we're all having sort of a bit of fun. And I know you were like taking it very, very seriously. And it was, it was just really cool to see how professional you were um, and how serious you were taking it as well. Because I could just tell that you, you really wanted that title back. And it was just, it was great to watch the battle between you and Corey. You both have very different personalities, but you both wanted as much. And I know Corey speaks very fondly of you as well. There's a, there's, I guess there's a, within that rivalry, you've got like the doctor title. I remember I was talking to Corey, there was like a, a year, two year space where you were within 30 seconds each of each other, like within like, like 10 or something races, you were just, you'd win one and he'd win one. And then it was like only by like five seconds or 10 seconds and you'd win by 30 seconds. How was that year? Like I know 2018, 2019 was just back and forth sort of to battle until you got sick towards the end of the year. No, for sure. I think, um, yeah, Corey's, He's he's one of those uh, those surfski paddlers that you you can never write off um, in any event, even if it's a flat day. You know he's 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 hungry and uh, he's powerful and, and and he's got the skills. You know and um, and like I said, it it makes it harder when he's humble as well, because like, you, you want to be motivated to 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 beat a guy and you just you wish he was like that. You know, Dolph Lundgren, sort of, you know, that Rocky Balboa. And yeah. Like, you know, like, you just like, yeah, I hate you, you know. I'm gonna kill. But uh, he's such a nice guy, so it makes it really hard to race against him. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, we had a, we've had a few races where it's been super close, and it's come down to who wants it just a little bit more. I remember, we've, I think we've had a few Hong Kong races where I've, I've always passed him in the last couple of k's you know you know what that hong kong's like it's 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 so unforgiving that last like 5k stretch the winds always feels like it's a headwind even if it's on the side and i've managed to if i've seen him i've just managed to either paddle him down or paddle away from him and uh i was hoping it was going to be the same thing in 2017 at world champs but uh 
he got the better of me there by a couple of seconds. So uh, yeah, it's just it's just one of those one of those um, jewels that uh, that that seems to just keep reoccurring, you know. And um, and and it's fantastic because it's uh, you know I know that uh, if I slack off just a little bit, he's gonna he's gonna walk it, you know. And um, and if if I'm on and he's on for the day for racing, it's gonna be tight, you know. And I think um, that's what makes it so special. You're never gonna like just win it by miles, you know, and, um, and I, I look forward to the next one. And, uh, like I feel with Sersky paddling, we just seem to be raising the bar every time, you know, and I think that's why the records are starting to come now. And, and if we did have records with like the doctors and other stuff like that, I'm sure you'd see the times would also be, would be there. And, uh, I think people are just, uh, you know, really becoming professional, with regards to Sersky paddling, obviously sponsors are helping and stuff like that and motivating and uh, prize money is always a good incentive. But I think um, it's the competitors that are actually getting out there and training harder and, and being more professional and, uh, and honing their skills and, uh, and being able to, to keep that, that average uh, race speed, um, just raising it just a little bit, 0.1 or 0.2 or 0.5. And, uh, and Corey's one of those guys. He seems, I don't think he's been off the podium for, for for quite a few years and it yeah. just shows you you know he's he's a he's a fantastic all-rounder he's and, and he's got the skills and then i think he he just yeah he's he's the, the equipment suited him you know and uh and and he's, he's got that personality that can just roll with the punches you know and uh and you know with sersky paddling like i've said before it's it's a more relaxed vibe but at the same time because it's relaxed it also it it really irritates the people that are super serious you know they, they don't always seem to 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 gel because they can't handle these, you know, these guys that are just like cool and just chilling and maybe having a beer or having a glass of wine and, you know, socializing with each other. They like, they prefer to have like that box, you know, sort of mentality. And, yeah. and I think like that's where some of the sprint kayakers and stuff, they can't really jump into, into our discipline of surf ski paddling because they just like to have their own lane and they're just like, don't touch me, don't come near me, you know, I'm just going to do this. And where Sersky paddling, you get those guys that always want to touch your paddle, bang into the back of your boat just to let you know that they're there and we're still there. And, and like Corey's, I mean, super irritated me the one time because he had this flipping speaker on his boat and he was playing these tunes. And I was like, I paddled up next to him at Monaco and I was like, it's not a freaking nightclub, bro, you know? Um, this is a freaking race, you know? So, yeah. so and, and he was like, yeah, you could check. He was just vibing it out, you know, and it just, it irritates the, like, cause it's, it just, it, it doesn't seem right. It's, but, and that's what surf ski paddling is about, you know, it's, it's being able to adapt and you, you've got these unique sort of athletes that are out there that, that you've got to, you know, get your head around. And, and I think that's where you're training the brain and being able to, to reinvent yourself and and i must admit now that i've been on the downtime and been training with music and uh watch my playlist Corey. next time we race i'm gonna have my speaker i've got a good playlist for you if you close yeah enough, uh, to i'm to gonna it. subscribe to it and see what you listen to um yeah it's so cool to hear that you're sort of like i guess you've gone through the different phases of your life with paddling and you've seen the different characters and you've, you've learned to adapt and i think that's really cool to hear your experiences and Sort of like you, I guess you become more relaxed as a person, relaxed and athlete. I know you love the shirt, people. I know you love a bit of a, a laugh and a, a lot of a joke. So I really enjoy that. Um, one bit we haven't, I know we haven't, but we've been talking for a while now. So if you've got to go, just let me know. But the marathon racing in the rivers, I know that is just huge in South Africa. Like you've got the berg, the fish, the doozy. 
they're the only ones I can think of on the top of my head. Obviously, you spoke about the cellar in um, the Sen in Spain where you just got pipped. Tell us a little bit about the marath- that type of marathon racing in South Africa. Because I know, like, I think one of the races, it might be the doozy where you, like, run, like, 10 kilometres, like, over mountains, like, partway through the races. And obviously, you're a very good runner as a kid. And then you've, you've become an ex- a fantastic paddler as well. Did that sort of just, like, come naturally when you're doing the sprints and the, and the marathons and the surf ski? You were just like, oh, I'm going to do the marathon race. Or you just you did it straight away? No. Um, sort of, like, when I was obviously in the sprint kayaking um, phase, I never did any of the like sort of river racing because, you know, your coach was mess up your technique and, you know, it's completely different craft and, and all of that uh, stuff. So um, I sort of isolated myself away from the river racing and it was almost like a, a hack fest. You know, you just see these rocks and rapids and, 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 and the guys didn't always look like they had great techniques and, uh, and it, it, for me, it, it, like my dad was, just, it's a Mickey Mouse event, you know, that was his sort of chip, you know. Um, and uh, the problem was in our country is that is the stronghold of our, our sport is, is the river kayaking, you know. And so when I did win my first world marathon title, I came home and um, people would like, you know, introduce yourself or somebody would say, he's the world uh, canoe champion. Because, you know, everybody in South Africa says canoeing. They don't say kayaking. Um, and uh, she's delivered a muffin. And, she's crawling on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then, uh, uh, so, yeah, so then I was like, they were like, so have you won the doozy? And I was like, no. And they're like, oh, like, weird. Like, you know, um, so, so it really irritated me that, like, you know, people couldn't relate to my world title, but they could relate to like these local guys that were winning the local races. <clears throat> so uh, I really decided to, to put my, my hand up and go for the doozy and um, title, which is, uh, I mean, you, you're talking, I think back then we were looking at like 1500 to 1700 paddlers. I mean, some big numbers. Um, and uh, the problem is you got to run close to i think in the first day it's less i think it's like 38 k's i think you've got to run if you want to try and win it you've got to run about between 15 and 17 k's with a kayak 12 kg boat on your shoulder with your paddle in the boat and your life jacket and your splash cover and um and it's about uh, close to 35 degrees temperature in the valley um so uh, for me you know, it was, I went into it pretty raw uh, to try and win it the first time, you know, sort of, and uh, I got horribly beaten. I ended up, I think, sixth overall. And, um, but I went back in 25, uh, 2005 and I won my first title, singles title. And I had really trained hard, done a lot of like time in the valley and learned to, to become like what they call it a river rat, whereas you, you know, you find the main stream. And, feed your way through the rocks and as a a purist paddler it was super frustrating because you would you'd come into a rapid and you would just i mean if you look at a rock you'd like you'd just hit it and you almost couldn't find your way around it and then you'd get these local guys and and lightweight paddlers or whatever and they would just snake their way around they wouldn't even touch anything and you'd just be banging and crashing and smashing equipment and stuff and i had to really like take my foot off the pedal and um and learn to, to, to use skill and, and, and it was super frustrating and it took some time, but I learned my way uh, through the river and, um, and I learned to that 
that type of skill actually can help you when you're in the ocean and it can help you in marathon racing because going around boats, around buoys and turns and shallow water, you can adapt, you know, you can turn, keep the momentum up without actually stalling the boats. Um, so you can use your hips more um, and like sort of, I think it all just fed on and, um, but river racing in, in our country is, is, is huge and it always has been. And uh, unfortunately we had some drought years, which has obviously uh, hampered some of the numbers and, and we've had some uh, rivers that have been polluted, which haven't helped. Uh, but it's still, uh, it, it is our stronghold of, of, of our sport is our river kayaking. And um, it, it, it is unique. And um, we've had some internationals that have come out and they just look so funny with the bike on their shoulder and, and their shoulders are raw or they've got these big like pads. They look like football players trying to like simulate. And uh, it's been quite classic and comical, but um, you know, South Africa, we've, we've reinvented like some unique races and, uh, and one of them is the doozy. And uh, it is a, it is a huge race in our country and, uh, and, and it is one that you would love to win. And I've been fortunate enough to win it a few times. I remember you said to me one time um, you were like a dual marathon world champion one year and you came back and they're like, yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter. You didn't win the doozy. And it's just cool that you mentioned just there. But like, it doesn't matter. Like, it's just like quite, and then it goes back to like being like a, I guess a smaller sport um, internationally and then coming to your hometown. You're like, yeah, but all that matters is the, the doozy. All that matters is the burg or whatever river marathon yeah. that everyone's focusing on. So yeah, it's just cool yeah. to see like, I guess, your results only as good as the people who know about it. And I hope like the showcasing some of this stuff on, on these podcasts actually helps more people understand it. And we can actually increase sort of any sort of paddling sport to more of the masses. And I think, I think that'd be really cool to see. There's um, one thing I do want to mention. I know that didn't you paddle like, I remember one period of your life. I remember you talking about you're on a yacht and with your dad and you paddled maybe to America or something like that, or you were sailing to America and you're, you're paddling there as well. Like, can you give us a little bit of story about that? Um, yeah, well, that story was like it. Uh, so when I was 16, my dad wanted to uh, take me back to, to show me like the Caribbean and stuff where, um, where I'd been when I was young. And um, obviously I'd, now you know i really been to my first world uh, championships in in marathon kayak racing and and uh, so I had the bug had bitten and um so i was really keen to train and stuff but so i had all this water but i'd have to jump off the safety of the boat so um you know going down the coast from durban all the way to cape town is quite a rough coastline and and obviously i'd jump off every day and and you know maybe surf some runs or um you know paddle and i had only had a, a spec ski which a life-saving ski and uh, so it was, you know, it was quite heavy. It wasn't uh, like an, you know, out and out racing boat. And um, yeah, when we got to Cape Town and eventually we decided to, to leave, and it was obviously quite a big thing. Now we're going to cross the Atlantic. And uh, well, for me, you know, now this is the one I'm going to remember. I'd really done it as a kid. Um, we got, a, I think it was two days out or three days out. And we hit a really bad storm. And um, midnight we actually flipped the boat and went like head over kettle type of thing um, yeah. with, like sort of it, well it was on autopilot we surfed down a wave at midnight and the boat broached and wave folded over the top of it and went down filled up with water and I remember just like swimming in the cabin and uh, hearing my mom screaming and um, 
my dad was trying to make his way out and I just remember the silhouette of him and just water pouring through as he was trying to get out the boat while we're upside down. Anyway, the boat managed to right itself because it had a keel and yeah. um, I spent the next like nine, I think it was nine hours with a bucket bailing until we could get down to the bulge pumps. Um, it was just bailing into, my mom would stand by the hatch and because obviously, you know, like you know, being in a boat or a kayak when you put a lot of water in, it sinks the, now the gunnels were pretty much under, you know, we only had like, I think it was like about a foot, foot and a half before the boat was completely submerged on the outside. So every little chop or wave it would just break on. So my dad tied himself to the, to the helm and my mom would be where the, the hatch was and I would throw the bucket. She would open the hatch, water would go out and I remember like nine hours and I remember getting so seasick. It was just oil and eggs and all our food, everything was just floating and um, we had lost the life raft and we had lost the, um, the, the radios and it was an nightmare there. And, yeah. Um, Far and, out. Uh, yeah, we managed to, we, we, we limped for a couple of days and uh, eventually my dad was like, look, okay, to get to Santorini Island is going to take us another maybe like nine days sail. Or we could maybe make our way to a place up to a skeleton coast up the west coast of Africa and uh, hopefully pull in there and um, find a way. But we didn't have charts for that. So that was like the daunting task. Um, but anyway, we, um, we, we took, the, took the chance and limped our way that side. And um, yeah, we managed to... Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah I can hear you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we got there and uh, I... St- you know, obviously I didn't paddle for quite a few days, but then when we got to Luderitz, I decided to uh, paddle around in, in, in this crazy place and uh, it's just desert everywhere and stuff like that. And then we made, we, you know, obviously got a new autopilot and stuff like that. We obviously got some new spares and equipment and um, headed, my dad was like, cool, we're heading out. And my mom and I, were, like, we weren't keen to leave Africa at all at that stage. But then yeah, we I made our way. And, uh, <laughs> Uh, we made our way and we decided to uh, you know make our way across the Atlantic and yeah I sort of got into the hang of it jumping overboard every day and paddling maybe two three probably four hours at a time uh, I had nothing else to do there was no Skype no phones no mates yeah. no you know there was, there was nothing on board nothing like it you could either read books or you could um, or you could paddle so I used to just paddle and I used to just surf runs and we managed to get into the trade winds and yeah we uh, we uh made our way across the Atlantic and yeah, I think the longest I'd been out at sea uh, that we never saw land or any other person was 22 days straight. Um, so uh, yeah, I paddled for, I think it was like, it took us about 55 days to cross uh, yeah. the entire, you know, from, from Cape Town across. And, um, and by the time I did get to the, to the States, to, to, to Florida and, um, Fort Lauderdale, like, and I've been paddling for months now through the Caribbean and stuff like that. I was, and just paddling a spec ski, and I was just super amped to get to race. And, uh, and yeah, that was like an incredible journey, and I'll never forget it. You know, I spent, I could hardly dive when I first started, and by the time I'd finished, um, I could hold my breath for a good couple of minutes, I think. Um, just spearfishing was our source of food and stuff like that. And I used to 
you know, bail off and uh, take my ski and I'd go and paddle to like some outer reef. And, uh, and my dad's not really like a social butterfly. So he would never anchor in the normal anchorage. He would always go and anchor it somewhere around the corner. And uh, so I'd end up, you know, going to a paddle and go and shoot fish. And I'd come back with like, a big fish. And my dad's like, oh, how many people are you going to feed? There's only three of us. And, um, but, uh, you know, obviously I was 16 and uh, I had my 17th birthday out at sea. Um, had to do 17 chin-ups on that day um, <laughs> and uh, and it was just yeah like I'd, I'll never forget it. it's an incredible journey and um, it's something special I got to really know my mom and dad and uh, super well and, and like obviously isolating from a different uh, aspect altogether I mean it was only a 40 foot 42 foot boat so it's kind of small and uh, you know you don't look at the charts every day because it hardly hardly moved when uh, you're only doing like six knots average um, but uh, yeah, it was a unique thing, and um, I'm not too sure if I'd go across again with my family because um, I'm a little bit nervous. But uh, it was something special, and uh, yeah, I thank my parents for taking me. Yeah, mate, just sounds absolutely incredible experience. I'm sure you'd probably draw on some of that inspiration. Like obviously, when you're you're out in the ocean by yourself, like I know I love just going out and paddling and, and being in the ocean, being in the Alps, and being by myself. But to not see land for that period of time like 25 days or something like you just said like it just must have been the weirdest experience you with your mum and your dad and you just total isolation um well, I, well i'm sure we'll talk about this more in the future but i just wanted to touch on that point before we go like you've, you've had all these amazing experiences you've, you've had ups and downs you've had failures and successes what would you talk about to, what would you tell people at the moment who are in isolation like you guys are in South Africa at the moment, we're all dealing with this COVID-19 situation. Uh, everyone's dealing with it in some way. It's one of the biggest global catastrophes, I think, in the history of recorded humankind. Um, like, what, what would you, what are you doing at the moment to, to keep yourself motivated, to keep yourself positive and to keep moving forward in a time of contraction? Look, I'm sure it's going to lift sooner or later, you know, but, um, you know, take the time to, to really get to know yourself i think everyone's always you know surfing the net trying to know everyone else um but this is a time where you can actually like look into yourself and actually see what um you know from a competitor see what you're not good at you know i think we're all so arrogant that we always think that we like unbeatable or most like competitors want to feel like we don't have a weak spot but we all do you know and i think um you know take the time to really get to know yourself and um and, and maybe work on your on your weak points and most of the time it's not necessarily the training you know, it's it's probably something to do with the mental aspect or, or, or what drives you or, or maybe your tactics or something like that. And there's enough video footage around the world to actually, you know, that you could you could get involved or get hold of that you can actually work on that and um, maybe strengthen your weak points that you don't really have a weak point. I think that would be the ultimate competitor. Somebody that's just, you know, they've got their real strong points, you know, maybe it's a downward leg or the, or um, you know, the flat water, but uh, it's, uh, you know, we, we all have a weak point and I think um, sometimes we just, we don't want to like get or think about it or, or, or go down that route or we only do events that, um, that like only suit us. Um, but I think now's the time to actually really pick the events for maybe, maybe it's probably next year. Maybe it's not even going to happen this year and maybe do something that you, you always wanted to do, but you, you know, you like, oh, if I have to choose, I'd rather choose the one that I really know that I'm good at. But maybe pick an event that um, that you know that's uh, 
that's gonna that's that you've always wanted to do and and, and maybe this is the time to really uh, plan it you know and uh, maybe next year it's it's uh, you could be doing something different maybe it's a different sport maybe it's something maybe it's surfing maybe it's kayaking you know but um you know i think now we all like regretting like maybe some of the events that we missed last year and uh um, but and we we just sort of take it for granted that's always going to be there, you know. And I think now worldwide uh, it's not, you know. You look at the games, you know. So um, so yeah, I, I, I look forward to the next uh, the next racing. Um, I think because everyone's going to be fired up and um, yeah, look, I think from some advice, yeah, maybe see what your weak point is and hopefully you can strengthen it. Yeah, I think that's something that we've all probably not done enough like I know I try and preach that sort of value as well like try and work on your weak points and I think anybody who's out there listening just really needs to look at those things they can't normally do like we've got such a nice time at the moment to spend time with those close to us like stay connected with different people like I've been lucky enough to be able to start this this podcast and, and reach out to someone like yourself and you were stoked to come on board and, and talk stories for as long as you did today and I really really do appreciate it um there's so much to learn out there like it, it, learn out there from your story that you've just told us through that at last two hours and I think if if anyone's out there and has gotten to this point like I think it's amazing but yeah there's just so much to learn from someone like you and you're inspiring you've inspired me so much you've inspired obviously the guys you're training against and the guys you're racing against all the time so really appreciate your time today mate and um all the best thanks yeah um hey sorry thanks so much for for having me on this you know and uh yeah I think you've inspired me to take up supping now um I'm definitely going to start practicing at my home <laughs> with the mop uh, look, or something uh, like that. Yeah, it looks good. You can, get a, you can get a skateboard in the car park and you can sort of push yourself along. Uh, I see a couple of guys doing uh, that no. now. It's the way to train. Uh, no, no, no. Yeah, thanks. But, thanks so much, Mark. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, it's been great and you're doing a great job. And uh, I look forward to seeing you the next couple of uh, podcasts. Uh, appreciate it. Okay, thanks, mate. And to everybody out there who has been watching these uh, boothcasts, it's been an absolutely amazing experience for myself to learn so much from so many great competitors and inspiring people out there. But I've been really enjoying your comments. If, if there's anybody you'd like me to get on, like me to speak to, please let me know via the comments or um, subscribing to my channel. And you can watch all the episodes on Michael Booth. There's a video section called Boothcast. Um, you can check all the the older episodes and the new episodes will all be posted there. These are also available um, to listen to on all your favorite podcast channels like Spotify, Google Podcasts, um, Apple Podcasts. So it's all there. And if you would like to become a sponsor of the show, if you'd like to see more of this and potentially doing lives and all sorts of different stuff with this, please get in contact with me and, and we can make something happen. So um, Hank, really appreciate your time again. And I will be talking to you soon, I'm sure. Cheers, mate. Thanks, sir. Cheers.